Hello and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. And uh, today it's uh, our yearly tradition, one of the few yearly traditions that we've kept up on this uh, podcast. We've we've been pretty bad at keeping to the fortnightly release schedule. <laughs> we've had plenty of sort of gaps between our episode releases and there's been periods where sort of pe- some of our fans start to send out SOSs to see if we're still alive and uh, still actually uh, podcasting. And we can, um, any word and any rumours of our death were uh, premature. We're still here and uh, we are still doing our yearly video game music VGM-related podcast. And uh, as always, as we have since 2020, we are also joined by our good friend John to talk about all things video games. So. Um, video game music, I should say. Though today's a bit of a different spin on the formula, and I'll uh, pass over to Zach to for him to describe what he's concocted up for us today, because this is a bit of a quite a different formula to what we're more used to. So I think John and I are also a bit confused <laughs> about what we're actually going to be doing t- um, this episode. Yeah, I'm a bit of a thought. I get a bit weird with this one. So I mean, originally, what we were always aiming to do was like focus on a different type of song each each year, and we've We've done that successfully so far. This year, I wanted to mix it up, and it was mostly because I've listened to a lot of the Backpage podcast, and they do these things <laughs> called drafts, which are usually focused on video game sort of platforms, maybe, but uh, they sometimes do other things. But basically, it's like, you know, they want to make a, a list of X amount, usually 10 in a team of, of certain things, um, and they go back and forth um, in terms of you know, drafting things and it gets, you know, quite heated when somebody's favorite game get taken by someone else. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to listen to. And it's a good way of just like covering a large quantum of things um, because it prevents too much risk of, of double up because, because of the rules of the draft, you know, one thing can only be taken once and talked about once. Um, so what we're going to try is a draft of video game composers. Uh, so, you know, well, imagine, you know, each, you know, me, uh, John, Brendan are all making a game. You know, picture whatever game you think think we'd make. I'm probably some like colourful platformer. Brendan's probably like a an RTS or like a you know you know deep RPG <laughs> of some kind. Um, John, I don't just something cozy probably is my my guess. But you know, it could be any game. Um, uh, and we're just trying to get four of our favourite composers on the project. But obviously, you know, we can't they can't work on all our games. So the first person to grab someone. Um, gets them we'll go through a snake draft so it'll it'll be the first person goes once the second person goes once the third person goes twice and then it goes back to the the second person and goes back and forth uh, we're gonna do four just because otherwise this will be a 10-hour podcast if we do i think more than four i mean 12 composers is is a lot um it's 12 songs it's more songs than we've done in previous years i think our games only have the budget for 12 composers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which, which I mean, you know, that's pretty, we're pretty lucky to have that much budget, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, that's that's generally it. Before we get started, um, I might keen to get both of your thoughts. You know, John, how have you found um, sort of doing research for this episode? Is it something you've had to put a lot of effort in or has it all been like you've got it in your head? I know who my my favorites are. I don't need to, to think about it any, any more than that. Yeah, it was uh, sort of interesting. Um, the I kind of uh, tried to set 
like some self-imposed uh, restrictions on it to sort of make it interesting. Um, since it's sort of like a, a, an end of year thing, I wanted to try and pick at least composers that that had stuff uh, coming out this year or stuff that I'd, I'd, games I played this year for the first time and that kind of thing, and as well as not trying to double up too much on composers that we've had in the past, uh, we've we've discussed in the past, which was honestly probably a bit harder because. There's some excellent composers that we've, we've picked, and I've kind of like got them in my backups in case in case you take my uh, you take my first picks before I get to them. But um, it's uh, I think yeah, I'm pretty happy with the list I've got here, and I'm I'm sort of very happy to sort of get in and, and start talking about them. I probably should have done something similar in trying to avoid composers I've picked in previous years. I I I can admit right now that I have not done so. I've uh, I definitely. Wanted to balance between not just choosing Japanese composers and music from Japanese games, so I've made a conscious decision not to do that. But a large portion of the composers I've chosen and the songs I've also chosen to represent those composers very much come from the music I listen to um, through my Spotify playlists that are primarily VGM through music and composers. Like if if you just tell if you say VGM, video game music to me, those are the composers, those are the songs that initially jump to mind. So not really scientific, I, I must say, my approach, but that's sort of, that that, that has been the internal logic of uh, my approach to this episode. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'm i sort of halfway between you both. I've got a, I've probably got a larger list than you guys just because I, I haven't really narrowed down exactly who I want. Um, I, I think I was saying to Brendan before this, I probably got 20 tabs open, um, which which I don't need all 20, obviously. Um, but I'm just sort of like tossing around in my head constantly which ones I want to do. There's a mixture of like, obviously, some composers I'm very familiar and and know, could tell you a good number of their works off the top of my head. There are others I, I just went by. I remember this game as having standout music, and then I've tried to back solve who did it. And sometimes that's been easier than than others um one some of some of the interesting things uh, i've noticed and i think brendan you noticed as well is it's not always easy to tell who composed certain games um sometimes there's five people listed in or you know in a in a, in a credits and there's there's you know not always a, a cd or a, a soundtrack put up separately with a specific credited artist which makes this a little tricky sometimes and we you know just full disclosure there might potentially be some stuff ups where we we think it's x person but really it was was y person on a particular game um uh, i don't i don't know if that's super likely um because i think we've probably got enough uh, of composers who are pretty clearly the lead or the one that did certain songs to not do that but we'll see but yeah the other thing as you mentioned brendan it was just for me it was, it was making sure i didn't have too many just japanese composers i've got a lot here um that i could choose from um uh, but there's also a lot of western ones that i and as even saying there's certainly a couple that would would break into my top sort of five um uh, or at least six uh composers of all time in terms of both personal favorites and my genuine sort of if i try to be a little less biased list of of composers so i it was it wasn't as bad as i thought i was going to be i thought i could have easily just been you know four key japanese composers probably still could but um uh, let's see I could how very it. easily just do that yeah. I can't wait for all of us to like, like, be so scared about about introducing like like so many wonderful Japanese composers that it ends up being like eighty percent non Japanese. Yeah, yeah, that is that is possible. We met right. ourselves. 
Yes. That's 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 one of the easiest things to do with these. That's again from listening to various draft things. Um and we obviously uh well not obviously, but we've we've talked about it in previous episodes. Um at least Brendan and I have that we do a do like fantasy critic. Um we had an episode on that. Go listen to that with the creator of Fantasy Critic. Very good. Um John's in our fantasy critic. So um things like drafting and these kinds of things are um I was unfortunately never uh, pick Call of Duty. Never do it. <laughs> I am so so grateful that Fashion Dreamer didn't get didn't get lower than sixty. I, I, I was I was stuff. I I, I was so conf- uh, I was so confident about that game, and then from what I've heard about it and how like content rich it. Oh, Content rich it is on the fashion side, and content lacking it is on every other side. I'm like, oh god, this could be a disaster. But whereas my last three picks have been my worst picks of this uh, of, of this league, and they have been my safe picks of oh, I need to consolidate my lead. I need to go for things that will just like be average, yeah. but yeah, that hasn't worked. Seventy five or something, um, and it's like no, not happening. Oh, no. Um, I was expecting them all, all three of them to get like eighties, but like two got seventy sixes, and then well, I don't even I don't even want to know what Call of Duty is on now. I've stopped looking. Last I checked, it was a forty or so, but I think it's gone higher than that. I think it was fifty four last time I checked, and that was going to be the last time I checked. Should have counterpicked it. Uh, funny. Um, Sorry, I just need I just need Silk Song to release at the Game Awards, <laughs> and then it doesn't matter what I did this year because I was always going to lose. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, the point is we like doing sort of fun game drafts. And this is a gaming podcast, so why not turn our podcast into a game? That's kind of the logic here. Before I reveal, I've done a randomizer of the um of who's going in what order. Uh do you guys have any other questions before we, we start this? All right. Lead on, Captain. Three, two, one. Let's see if this message system lets me do a snippy tool. Maybe not. I was hoping just to be like, here's the actual thing. You can't challenge me of Showing you what I can. So I'll just copy and paste the text. Uh, But effectively, while I'm doing that, it's Brendan, me, then John is the order that the randomizer, what is it, random.org, has has given us. Um, So again, just to reiterate snake draft, Brendan will go first, I'll go second, John will then pick two, will go back to me, then Brendan will do his, wait, how does that work? Two, so that gets you on three. Does that work? How do we, am I doing the maths right? Yeah, so if yeah, then yeah. I do two and three, you do two, John will do two, three, you do three, I do four, and then it just goes you four, John four to finish. That that actually works. Uh, I think. No, so I do one, two. So yeah, so then, you, yeah, then then so it goes Brendan does one, I do one, yes. John does one, two, I do two, Brendan does uh two, three, I do Three, John three. does three four. three, four. I do four. Brendan I does do four. four. Yes, and I finish, yeah. starts on me, finishes on me. That 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 yeah. works. The the, the aura Boris that is that is Brendan um, <laughs> eating his own tail, um, uh, which is very thematic to this year as well with games and other things. Um, but yeah, uh, well, Brendan, do you want to kick us off with your composer and and then we'll talk a bit about them and then just link a a song for so- something they've done. So do you want me to link the song and we listen to that and talk about the composer or do you want me to just say the composer oh. and we talk about the composer? Maybe, then... maybe, link, maybe link the song because that is what we've done in the past and, it, and then we can um, talk about the composer and that particular song you've picked. Well, I've I guess just liked to... the suspense of like uh, 
waiting for the link to drop and then like, oh, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Yeah, well, and, and uh, I was just going to say, well, uh, I'll let you determine after the fact, but at the time of recording, I'm not sure how you prefer to do the um, the song. You might either loop it in the background or play it like a clip as we've historically done. Probably depends on the length of the podcast and how well the editing works, but I'll, I'll we'll, you, the listener I'll, will know. We won't know. I'll play around <laughs> with that, yes. And I yeah. will preface this choice by saying that this was the one choice that when I was thinking about drafting and any tactical ideas that I'm like, well, if I am first, I have to go with this composer. So that was a promise I made to myself. So here we go. And you might be interested in this particular pick I've chosen, but I think there's some interesting things to talk about it as well. It's the one composer I specifically avoided because I knew you guys, one of you would bring it. <laughs> yeah, this is, that would have been my first pick as well. So uh, I think we can say it's Koji Kondo, right? Am I wrong? Yes, yeah, Koji Kondo, the legendary game composer that I think is one of the most recognisable names amongst particularly gamers about if you if you ask any general i'm not going to say if you ask any ordinary person in the public do they know who koji kondo is because most of them will say no they don't they've never heard of the name but particularly in gaming circles even i'd argue some more casual gamers they would have maybe less so now but i think particularly when we were getting into enthusiast communities and the like everyone knew who koji kondo was he's well, no, in Mario Zelda is was Nintendo's main name when it comes to composers. I think he was their first dedicated composer they employed back in the 80s. So he, he mainly does, I guess, what's his, would his role be sound director now? Or, I don't really know what his exact Yeah, I mean, I could, we can probably talk about that quite comfortably. I mean, so the, he, this year is, is a big one for him in terms of releases because he's the sound director and a composer on Super Mario Bros. Wonder, which is only coming out about three or four weeks ago. And it's actually interesting because if you look at the Nintendo, um, what do they call them these days, developer questionnaire, that there used to be a what asks. Obviously, that's not a thing anymore, but it's the same concept. Um, it was interesting with that particular game how they got him and the other sound team guys to put, like, gameplay ideas up front as well, not just, you know, hey, here's a... I've made a level, please make some song for it. Um... Uh, but yeah, he, I imagine he's, I don't know if he's, he's not like the head of sound or anything like that, but he certainly takes quite a no. lead directional role these days in a lot of games, I'd say. Yes, because I don't think he does the day-to-day composing of singular tracks anymore as he would have in the past. <laughs> yeah, not as often. I think there's every now and then, like even for Zelda for a long time, he hasn't been like the Zelda guy since, since you know, probably the... 64 maybe i can't even remember but even then like a lot of the games might have like one koji kondo composed track but he's obviously supervised or given input on on it given it's still again it is is very much like the miyamoto of of the same franchises right like most of the miyamoto stuff is also koji kondo stuff and he still has a little bit of like the the um you know father you know input over it all even if he's not necessarily doing the work is the vibe i get from a lot of the i get interviews and, and things you hear from you know ex-nintendo employees etc and it's especially hard with say like wonder where there's he's definitely credited as a composer for wonder but how much of that is say older tracks that are older tracks that are uh paid homage to that he has made um versus some of the, the more brand new compositions there. Uh, I do remember Mario 
Galaxy 1 and 2 in particular, there's stuff that he's credited for writing. I think Egg Planet? Sorry, Good Egg Galaxy. Um, uh, in particular. Uh, but yeah, definitely more of like a overall supervisory um, sort of role uh, in addition to some sort of singular tracks, sort of using that knowledge that is, is, is created and that kind of... In the case of um, you know, series like Mario and Zelda, the sort of musical styles that he literally created out of thin air um, to sort of try to keep a cohesive and, and consistent um, series vibe and series theme with its music. Yes, and why I chose the particular track I chose, which is the final boss theme from Yoshi's Island, is because I think in many ways it subverts that expectation of it. It doesn't sound like a typical Mario track. There's some motifs in there as it goes on, but this track in particular is one that always comes to mind when you think of some of the inspirations and influences that these composers had uh, from when they were growing up in their formative years as being composers. And this one, you can very much tell that Koji Kondo must have listened to a lot of prog rock in the 70s and 80s. That, that is where... The heart of this song is from Frog Rock, I'd argue, and uh, I, I think it's just a really well put together track. It really shows his versatility and just his knowledge of or using the sound hardware that's available to him to make a memorable and high octane uh, track, particularly for a final boss fight. And you just think of most Nintendo games from the um, Super Nintendo era onwards, and boss, particularly boss battles and boss themes. And I know we talked about this in a previous year when we spoke about, I think, battle music, or maybe we did look at boss music, I can't exactly recall, but talking about some of the like, some of the motifs and some of the the impetus behind crafting a boss theme is that you want to be memorable, you want, it, you want the player to, or I guess, feel like there's stakes there, and this does that. So it, for me, it's, there's probably, there's plenty of other Koji Kondo, um, Kondo tracks I could have chosen. There's much more well-known ones I could have chosen and I was kind of tossing up some Super Mario 64 ones that I guess are a lot more stereotypical Mario but this one I I found it hard to go past this one. Talking about um, sort of Kondo's inspirations and and where he draws his music from I think yeah like you said picking this track in particular is very interesting because Loss is is definitely uh, inspired by prog rock I feel like you don't you don't see him directly like go into that kind of style that often and so it, it's sort of interesting to, to sort of see that sort of you know compared to say like the original super mario brothers soundtrack or, or the zelda soundtrack where there's a lot of uh direct inspiration from uh jazz fusion of the time such as t-square and and, and cassiopeia and uh as well as uh bit of like general classical stylings and you see that a lot in especially um 80s composers and 80s japanese composers where you've got a lot of classically trained musicians being brought in to sort of create uh essentially create a new genre of music how how trying to make music work in the sort of like you know famicom era where um, and, and like the, the say master system era where the, the, you have very limited amount of, uh, 
control over the kind of sound you can make. You've only got a couple sound channels. What kind of music can you make that will have the biggest emotional impact? Um, and what kind of uh, genres do you draw from to make that sort of you know memorable and engaging, uh, especially as songs get played over and over and over? And I, I think that um, you look at someone like Koji Kondo and and uh, definitely had the grounding and the training and the and the sort of uh, inspirations to to make that really work. No, a hundred percent. And the other things that's really interesting about Mr. Kondo, I mean, because obviously he's been around for a while, you can actually get some interesting insight under him. Um, uh, if anyone listens to Kit and Krista, who are the former Nintendo employees, they've got their own podcast and YouTube channel, and they've done a bit talking about when he came over for things like the Game Awards, when he performed um, the Super, I think it was Super Mario Brothers theme song live on the piano at one one year. I can't remember which year. Um, and other sort of events like like that where he's he's um, got to give a speech. They were they were talking about he's very like quiet. He's very like um, doesn't like public speaking too much. But piano, like that's where he's in his like yep. element. He is more than comfortable playing in front of millions if he had to of people on the piano because he just goes into his his own world and is that's where he's confident. Some other fun thing. So you go, Brendan. I was just going to say, I think it was 2014 Game Awards where he played with Imagine Dragons of all yes. people. <laughs> what a wild <laughs> collaboration. Um, but uh, And the other thing that they mentioned is he's like got a very, like it seems to be a lot of the case with these like um, veteran Nintendo staff where he's, he's, he's like got a real like punchy kind of like back and forth with say like a Miyamoto like you know Miyamoto will joke about him and then he'll sort of throw back a bit of fire as well um when they're sort of in co-interviews and stuff um so it's good to see he's got a bit of personality and again even in again I really do recommend reading that Mario Wonder um developer sort of interview on Nintendo's website because you can sort of see that come through with some of his um ideas he had around you know wanting sort of a narrative narrator in the game and that kind of stuff which was um kind of happened with the the flowers um but yeah interesting to see where his mindset's at as a as a developer uh slash a you know composer who who has really just done games right i'm sure there's maybe some stuff he's done outside of games but not too much um or at least not on record but just quickly you know for anyone that somehow doesn't know who koji kondo is again he's his first game according to wikipedia at least was punch out which great soundtrack punch out gotta love the the bike riding uh theme in particular personally um but obviously when that would have been the arcade version so i don't know oh yeah that's a good point 1984 uh yeah i don't know either um i'm sure we could find a rip of it somewhere uh online um but obviously uh, and even the other stuff he did that year was golf and devil world and devil world i think just recently got its first western release on nso uh if i'm not mistaken so, it was you know, first uh, first North American. The original did release in Europe because they don't ah. care about Satan as much, apparently. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I believe it was on the virtual console on the Wii, but not maybe for, not in America. Not in North America. Uh, this is supposed. <laughs> I, know, I, I looked when it came because I was curious, um, and also I'd forgotten that uh, Murasame Castle was on the 3DS eShop, and I'm like, oh my yeah. goodness, is this just a huge deluge of new releases? But um, yeah, as far as I can tell, this is the first real reference Devil World in America outside of Smash. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. Lovely uh, heathens have had it for ages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> prisoners here in Australia. Um, but, uh, you know, then obviously 1985, 1986 is where he sort of gets his two massive hits with Super Mario Brothers and then Legend of Zelda. Um, and that would be a theme. I think, again, he stays on those franchises in some capacity pretty much the rest of his career, as well as doing a bunch of other just, you know, either Miyamoto joints like Star Fox uh, and Star Fox 64 and that series, um, and just other little random things here and there. Pilot Wings, get another good soundtrack. Um, again, you mentioned Murasame Castle, John, just before. There's lots of stuff. I mean, have a look at Wikipedia. It's not like a, a crazy big list. It's not like, again, you're not going to see every big Nintendo franchise here. It's going to skews very heavily, in my opinion, to the Miyamoto joints uh, and not as much to the other sort of, you know, key franchises there. Like, you know, you're not going to see Animal Crossing. You're not going to see, um, you know, Wii Sports or anything like that. You're not going to see um, two, any Metroid. I don't think there's any Metroid on here. Those kinds of things. No, no, are, that was are, uh, R&D 2. Oh, yeah, so Ashimoto? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I can say the composer, but I don't want to say it in case yeah, someone would Yeah, correct. <laughs> I, and I, I think it is worth saying that he isn't credited for uh, the last two Zelda games. Yes, that's, that's true. And that's probably interesting because those obviously have taken a very different direction to sound, I would say. Um, still very good, but not, not as... Um, I don't know how to put it. I mean... It's more atmospheric. I don't want to say it, but I think in many ways it's a lot more ambient, atmospheric than... Yeah, and I don't think that's where Koji Kondo thrives. I think he's a, like, very obvious, catchy, incredibly catchy, jaunty tune kind of guy. Like, his music is going to stand out. You can't ignore it when you're listening to it. It's not subtle in any way is my my general impression of it. Um, It's They're really earworms, and you just, you know, even like... Again, my wife finds herself humming songs from Mario without realizing them because they've probably been used on TikTok or um, Instagram stories uh, a lot, is what I observe, um, based on how many times I'm like, oh, that's from Ocarina of Time, or that's from whatever. And she's like, I'm just watching somebody like flip a pancake. Like, stop telling me that the music is from this video game. <laughs> uh, anyway. Definitely. Um, one last thing about uh, just sort of on Koji Kondo as, as sort of like uh, as a musician is, uh, yeah, supposedly he just like was probably one of the first compo- uh, composers to go, let to let's go, I'm going to make music. Here's a company that uh, I can make music for and they have to be a video game company. You know, supposedly he jumped in going, I want to be a video game composer. Um and I think you can really see that with Mario 1 in particular, um, where prior to Mario 1, you'd have a lot of games that have music but less a full score. Um, I'm not going to claim that Mario 1 is the first fully scored game, but it's definitely one of the first that had like that like approached um in the way of creating like a full original score for it and um i i think yeah really someone like kondo has just got that passion for um not even just music but specifically video game music and 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 pushing what you can do with music in games it's like it's a a testament to his is both his skill as a musician but also his passion as a gamer 
Yeah, which back then is like you're probably here today. There's probably tons of people out there who are like, yeah, I want to make video game music. That's the thing I'm aiming for. Not yeah, tons, but a good chunk. But certainly back then, that was that was the kind of thing. If you told your parents, they'd be like, "What do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Like, why aren't you aiming to be in the like, you know, Kyoto Symphony Orchestra or something, composing music for them? You know." Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean that that was a very smart and strategic first pick, Brendan. I would have taken it if you didn't. Um, so I knew it. I know how uh, you think, Zach. Yeah. And now that puts me in an interesting position for my first pick because I'm sort of of two minds. I either go who I think is like the second tier Japanese like choice I would have made from just like a pure influence perspective. And I think, I don't know if you guys are thinking that same person or not, or I'm going to go mm. the big Western one I want. And I'm leaning towards that. So I'm going to deviate in terms of um, geography, but I'm, but I'm not necessarily deviating in terms of uh, too much of their lineage, which might give away who I'm going oh, for. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. okay, I think <laughs> I know it. Yep. Oh, heck yes. Yeah, so, uh, while you guys are enjoying some, some chill vibes, uh, I have gone for David Wise, uh, you know, most iconically known for the Donkey Kong Country games, I would say. Um, but obviously, you know, was a veteran uh, composer at Rare. Obviously, has since left Rare and now is more of an independent gun for hire and works on a, a bunch of stuff, albeit still in that sort of similar vein and, and definitely gets looped back into whether it's, um, you know, Rare specifically, obviously uh, working on last year's Battletoads, or sorry, not last year's, 2020 time is, is certainly flown, um, as well as, you know, former Rare employee joints like Ukulele, uh, and then, you know, here, obviously, I've linked the song of choice is, is Current Capers, which is basically a, a redo of Aquatic Ambience, which I would argue is the most iconic song he's done from any of the games, though, uh, you know, obviously the other Donkey Kong Country songs um, have, a, have, a, have a place up there as well. Um, I, I'd say Sticker Brush. Like, this has similar... Sticker Brush. This, this has similar um, motifs to Sticker Brush Symphony, okay. but I'd say that's most iconic. Okay, they're both good. Um, partly why I do think it's Aquatic Ambience. I don't know if you watched the IGN um, interview with him this year, but it was specifically about Aquatic Ambience and how it sort of took off outside of out of games as well, like with people like, um, gosh, uh, Donald Glover, for example, like, you know, even like listening to it and reaching out to him about it and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's a good interview that you should watch if you haven't. Uh, I think it's called, yeah, the most emotional video game music in the unlikeliest of places. Um, that's about 13 minutes, a really, really good um, interview about his career and how he got into it. And uh, unlike, yeah, Mr. Kondo, it was not a, I want to be a video game composer. It was more um, just stumbling into a place where he can make music. Um, I think, again, one of the... the um, founders of rare kind of just tapped him on the shoulder after hearing him like play at a concert being like hey can you come try and make some music for us and like he gets there and then they're like here's this little machine and you've got to make it with this much memory and these bleeps and bloops and there was a whole learning process for him um which is which i imagine is quite fascinating if you're coming from yeah like proper instruments and recording equipment etc um, but yeah, he was just so chuffed to just get to make music full time. It wasn't, 
he he, he went head first into it and again i think became a a bit of a legend in the industry for it 100 percent um no he's he's i think in particular um it's hard for me to sort of contextualize because i'm too young for the SNES. I'm, I'm too young to have been there when Donkey Kong Country first hit. And obviously, he, he, he's, um, you know, his, his work doesn't start at Donkey Kong Country. He's done some, he's got some amazing NES tracks, he's got some amazing Game Boy tracks. Um, the Wizard and Warriors title in particular is, is absolute banger. Um, but just in general, Donkey Kong Country really does feel like it was a, a technical. Uh, technological leap forward, um, both in, in graphics and presentation, and, and the music is a huge part of that as well. Sort of um, really exploring and pushing what the, the SNES was capable of and would sound, um, and uh, Wise's compositions were a huge part of that, and, and sort of um, really pushing what atmospheric ambient music, in particular, could, could sort of be. I couldn't agree with you more, John. I think that really captures David Wise. And even if you look at some of his other music outside of Donkey Kong Country, and what what jumps to mind, um, particularly looking at his credit list, is one that surprisingly has a lot of similarities to the motifs musically is Star Fox Adventures, which is probably the David Wise composed game that I played the most growing up well outside of uh, Donkey Kong um, not Donkey Kong Diddy Kong Racing which was um, one of my favourite childhood games playing on the 64 and that's where I was most familiar with his music that very much that Star Fox Adventures soundtrack one of the such an underrated soundtrack has some great moments and really similar to the Donkey Kong Country and what you just uh, described it very much links the the narrative it links the world the game is building to the music and it, it becomes an integral part and yes it's a gamecube game but there's some attempts at making cinematic shots and some cut scenes and that music really ties everything together so he, he, he is a he, he is a brilliant composer i think personally i have to say um i guess when it comes to rare composers i've always been a bit more partial to one of his other compatriots who someone might pick so i won't I won't name him yet, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, David Wise is David Wise is fantastic, and that Donkey Kong Country, those well five soundtracks now that he's contributed to are really, or uh, well, technically six if you if you consider the Donkey Kong Country three has two separate soundtracks, the Super <laughs> Nintendo and the GBA one, which he collaborated with someone for the SNES one, but the GBA one he redid on his own, so. Like that's that's his legacy, and that's a very that's a very impressive legacy it comes to when it talks about when you talk about composing, be it a movie, be it a game, be it CDs, like that. It, it stands on its own. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first two video games, uh, I got a sixty four for Christmas, and yeah, Diddy Kong Racing was one of them. The other one was one by that other composer that <laughs> Brendan was alluding to. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I have a lot of fondness for both of them, and it yeah, it's tough. It's like flipping a coin between which one I prefer. They they both have a very specific sound file. Like you know, with David Wise, you know, like you know, I remember when um, I think it was Snake Pass that trailer came out, and it was very quickly. I'm just like, bang, that is that's clearly David Wise um, has been tapped on the shoulder for that. 
even then, as you mentioned, there's still a bit of variety. Like if we compare what I've linked, which is uh, again, very ambient, very calm, very like atmospheric. And then, you know, you look at Diddy Kong racing, which is just again, back almost to that Koji Kondo style a very upbeat, like jaunty. It's a kart racer. We're having fun. Yeah. It does have a good, good range. And then, as you mentioned, I love Star Fox Adventures. Lots of good, uh, lots of good uh, chanting in Star Fox Adventures soundtracks. I find, which I love a good chant. Um, as we discussed in a previous music episode, <laughs> with a, I think it might have been about um, Halo. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's got good range. Obviously, as you can sort of again, if you look through his list, it it airs to the more. I mean, it's a bit harder in the S- uh, NES days where he obviously deals with like Jeopardy and <laughs> Wheel of Fortune and stuff. But afterwards, he definitely you know leans into more uh, i'll say family friendly experiences overall like the the majority of his games are again stuff that kids or above can play um despite how difficult again battletoads actually is um hasn't really delved into too many highly mature games but i think that makes sense he works well in fantasy worlds or he works well in really colorful wacky kind of worlds in particular Something I find interesting um, with, especially his Donkey Kong Country works, but uh, and his like his SNES stuff um, is sort of looking at his inspirations, and I'm not sure how much he's he's gone on record with, but like considering the amount of uh, Donkey Kong Country tracks you can either indirectly or directly link to various Phil Collins uh, songs, <laughs> uh, um, it's sort of interesting that like. I know I've been listening to a lot of that that, that Phil Collins sort of like go west. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to call it genre wise. I think someone described it as yacht rock, and I'm not sure if that's exactly where I was what what I was what I was hearing with that. But like that that sort of '80s pop where um, it's very easily listening, and if you take out the lyrics, um, you end up getting a lot of stuff that works quite well for um, sort of games of that time and, and sort of. Um, to go back to like, you know, Kondo being inspired by um, uh, 80s uh, Japanese jazz fusion, sort of that same, or different genres, but they, they, it feels like they're drawing from that same well. And, and, and that, that's something that I really want to try to listen to a bit more uh, next year, sort of like a, like a, like a mini resol- uh, year's resolution. It's that sort of 80s <laughs> jazz fusion sphere in general, because I'm, I'm curious to see exactly how deep the rabbit well, the rabbit, how deep the rabbit hole goes in terms of what kind of is that sort of like a proto i guess for lack of a better word like video game soundtrack style like like how much can be can be drawn from that in particular there's something about phil collins and like the fact that he like you know him and david weiss both got drawn to like gorilla projects that like you know <laughs> with uh, uh tarzan for phil collins that says something um, I was looking at this that Phil Collins also did stuff on like Brother Bear, which now makes yes. me think of again the other other rareware composer. <laughs> um, so I thought you were going to go for the um, that old Cabri's ad with in the air tonight and the the gorilla the on gorilla. the drums. Yeah, that's I'd a good love point to see as that well. With yeah, okay. Well, the, you know, look, clearly there's more about gorillas here than, than they're linked yeah. to like this style of music than we, we need to explore in the future. <laughs> a completely irrelevant tangent, but there's a great interview of um, just some of his well, Disney projects when it's like, yeah, I, di- I didn't expect my music to be used in that context. Similar to, <laughs> I think my favorite one of those interviews is Elton John talking about uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? When it's like, I did not expect a 
at Timon and Paul, uh, Warthog to sing my song, but okay. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Actor-wise as well, I'm just looking at his... He has actually got 2023 releases, and um, you know, one of them being apparently adding music to the Eternity edition of Everhood and you know that that's a game that's a game with incredible both an incredible soundtrack and incredible incredible soundtrack from a bunch of different composers so you know you you make an project with a bunch of different composers he's he's well warmed up at the moment good pick yeah yeah i haven't um i saw that on the list and i actually have not really heard of everhoods but i've looked it up afterwards and it's on my to check out list now i think um keen to see how his music as you said and others sound in that game <laughs> it's so good oh um it's like yeah it's it's one of those rpgs where um the music is both really good for setting tone and trying to, yeah no it also it's like got rhythm based combat um and 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 that's so the, the music also plays a lot more of a uh a frontal role in in, in sort of like the battle themes and that kind of stuff but it's also just a great album to listen to. It's 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 so good. Awesome. Well, if we have nothing else about Mr. Wise, John, you've got two picks up for you. Do you want to show us your first one? Yes, I I, I will. In the in sort of the interest, I guess, of of keeping um uh sort of making sure everyone's first picks are on the same kind of level. Uh, here's a song from I'm assuming <laughs> the guy that you were going to pick. Maybe not the one. That you're you've heard much before, considering yeah, that that's was who I was going to pick. Yeah, <laughs> Japanese only. But this is the uh, Rebel Army theme from the uh, Japanese Final Fantasy II by uh, Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, by Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the 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 Godfather of uh, JRPG music and and sort of establishing. Um, what it is to be a video game soundtrack and what it is to be composing music uh, for like a narrative and a story. Um, I picked this one in particular for a couple reasons. Um, I've been on a Final Fantasy kick this this year uh, and I've uh, went back and played the Final Fantasy 1 and 2 Dawn of Souls compilation for the Game Boy Advance. The based off like the Wonder Swan one, so not, not this original bit. And I also wanted to pick a song of his from very early in his career, because I, I do think that, you know, he, he's had a super long and storied career and, and kind of done it all and and, and, and and done so much, but I wanted to kind of show off where it began and, and, and sort of um, where he started with it all. So, um, yeah, no, the... This is probably my favorite track from FF2. Definitely my favorite track from FF2 that goes for longer than like 30 seconds. Um, it's from like a minute long. I find one and two interesting in particular because as far as I can tell, they don't use the noise channel at all. Um, sort of the, the NES has five distinct noise channels, um, like three leads, and then a noise, a noise channel is usually used for percussion, and then like a sample channel. Three does use the static for like drum beats and stuff, but here the the like the the, the syncopatic nature, like the, the beats, is entirely just the notes hitting very hard. This song plays at the very beginning of the game. You've just been um, rescued from the brink of death and taken back to uh, a rebel base where 
it sort of sets up the story of trying to overthrow the emperor who's, who's taken over the land. It has this like very hopeful, rising, like call to adventure vibe to it, but um, it's sort of you, you, you know your, your characters have just been put into a very very dire situation. Um, but it, it, it it's both a bop and it, it also kind of instills that kind of yeah that the, those positive emotions that I, I really like about it. Um, it also helps that it only plays in like one or two places, so you don't get too sick of it over the course of the game. I really like this track because particularly this year, like you but in a different way, I've been immersing myself in Final Fantasy music because I think my most played game would be Fiat Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call on the uh, on the Nintendo Switch. I'm playing it on and uh, this is the track that they use for for each ga- for each mainline Final Fantasy game. They do like a I guess a cutscene track where they what what is it called? I know they use the term from Guitar Hero when the when the tracks are coming towards you from a vertical plane. Um, what's the term of that called again? <sighs> Something about a guitar, right? I don't know. The, the, um, like the threat, the threat oh, line the, or the the, the, yeah. the, the threat because that's the, the guitar. Yeah, yeah. guitar yeah. uses the, yeah. the, the fret. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the fretboard of the of rhythm games, but um and. They back it with a cutscene of all the different scenes of the game, and you, I've never played Final Fantasy two, yeah, but I, I I very much understand what you um, just explained regarding the importance of it as a as an element to drive the story, and it just it's very indicative of Uematsu's just musical style, and just because again playing Fiat Rhythm, you get a sense of his progression from the NES from the I guess restraints you from the constraints you have of developing music using such a in a way primitive I guess sound equipment like you mentioned doesn't even use the sound channel to you get to I think the later ones where he does the full tracks would be those last uh, PS1 games your Final Fantasy 8 and 9 and if I if Uematsu was still available and I drafted him I was I think I was going to go with the man with the machine gun which is a battle the battle theme from Final Fantasy VIII, but even though that's a battle theme and this is more of a story theme, there are some there's some similarities in the motif. There's some similarities in just the design of the tracks, and I, I agree with you. He's an absolute master of a composer, and particularly for the JRPG genre, you, you pick up a JRPG soundtrack and listen to it, and you can tell that they've been influenced by Uematsu. Sure, they've had other influences, probably outside of video game music as well as inside it but you see his DNA in so much when it comes to the entire genre similar to and I'd say even in some in some ways more than a Koji Kondo in not saying that Koji Kondo is not influential but in some ways his style very much does stand alone in that there's clearly people influenced by him there's people inspired by him and I've no doubt we'll be talking about some other composers that have clear inspiration from those Mario and Zelda tracks but I, th- I think it is in a different way in many ways, that inspiration. As a Nintendo boy after the SNES era, uh, yeah, my first exposures to Final Fantasy were, of course, Crystal Chronicles, but then, yeah, one and two on the Game Boy Advance, <laughs> um, partly because I'd watched so many, like, uh, Flash videos of, like, the sprites from those games as characters, um, so I just just drawn to them. Um, so yeah, I have heard this song, and it's—I uh, won't I don't know if you call it—it's not really original context because it's the GBA version. But either way, it's—it's it's still fantastic, um, and really stands up today. Uh, albeit that was not today; that was like what 
15, 20 years ago, which is a scary thought. Let's 2001, not, let's not, I think it was. Yeah, whenever I was, I was a child. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's not think about that passing of time too much. But yeah, I mean, his his work on Final Fantasy is is iconic, uh, and he stayed involved with the series for most of it. He's only really in the last few iterations dropped from like full composer to like I've got a song in here to like not really touching 15 or 16 at all I don't think um which is interesting but on the flip side he's obviously branched out and uh works on a bunch of other stuff um I really loved his work on Fantasy Life on the 3DS that's a really really fun little game and uh just shows like he isn't well he, he certainly thrives in the RPG genre it doesn't always have to be the like it can be a bit more, again, like silly, a bit more like fantasy life, even compared to the earlier Final Fantasies. I say is a bit more on the on the the silly side. Um, but like he and you know other stuff I've played, like Lost Odyssey on the Xbox. He was that was fantastic as well. Soundtrack. Um, yeah, he's he's got he's just I don't I don't know if there's I, I haven't certainly listened to everything on this list. Um, particularly his more recent games. I'll be you know curious to see how Grand Blue goes next year. Obviously, he's not the sole composer, but. Um, Fantasian is a very good soundtrack. I should listen to that. I don't know if I want to play the game. But I should listen to the soundtrack. I've, I've heard it's a good game. I'm just waiting for it to be ported off Apple Arcade because I don't want to subscribe to Apple Arcade again. That's fair. He'll but I, I heard very good things about it. With Relink in particular, he'll likely be similar to the uh, more recent Final Fantasies, sort of like supporting... Um, narrator on that he's narrator is the main grand blue composer grand blue composer uh but uematsu uh because grand blue was made by a bunch of sort of um people in the the final fantasy sort of sphere he sort of was brought on for the initial composing that kind of stuff and i reckon he'll, that's why he's back on this beautiful soundtrack by the way um you know, don't play gacha don't gamble kids but um do listen to the soundtracks because it's really good <laughs> yeah the music they put into those games are great it's like Princess Connect has fantastic music. Like there's entire there's like I think there's about like five different soundtracks all for Princess Connect, which is a mobile, I think, gacha game. And I've never played it, I've no interest in playing it, but the music is really good. And I listened to a podcast uh, called The Supermarcado Brothers, which discusses VGM and uh they don't really play games, they mainly just talk about the music and uh that's one where they'll they just absolutely um gush over that particular series and all the music attached to it and it, it is really good but again don't get into gacha it don't go down that road yeah there's one game on here where it's like he's worked on but i'm not going to mention because the primary composer i'm almost certain is going to show up on this list but uh <laughs> yeah we'll see how that plays out <laughs> bad and i think i know exactly uh, what game you're talking about i think i think you probably both know what i'm talking about if you're looking at yeah. Wikipedia. but yeah i mean like it's weird like in some ways, you know, we talk about him as kind of like the key uh, RPG guy. There's obviously one other RPG, which I don't think the guy is going to get raised on here. He's also not alive. Not that that matters. But clarity, if someone has passed away, you can still draft them and they will come back to life and work on your game if anyone was um, <laughs> avoiding someone for that reason. But yeah, I don't know how much he was like sort of inspired by or even like, cause, you know, looked at the works of, again, it's hard because I don't know if I want to say it because he could get drafted, but I, I, I'm going to say it because I don't think he will, but like um, Koichi Sugiyama, who's the uh, famous but also infamous uh, composer for Dragon Quest, 
because that that you know if you ask a japanese person they'd probably say dragon quest over final fantasy is like the rpg you know sort of get grandfather i suppose over there um but musically it maybe just hasn't had quite the same legacy maybe just in some ways because when i think of dragon quest i kind of just get stuck on the same main theme over over again and i don't necessarily know the rest of the soundtrack that well so i can speak to this a bit um so obviously the original dragon quest and the original final fantasy are relatively contemporary with each other um i think dragon quest one predates final fantasy one by a year but um they they're coming about at the same time and yeah dragon quest definitely has a very intentional kind of like much like the the game itself um definitely tries to is stayed in that medieval um jaunty kind of vibe throughout the years but the in biggest inspiration i think this is all speculation uh for the original Mm -hmm. final fantasy stuff um i reckon would have been ultima we know that Ultima was a large inspiration for Final Fantasy as a game. Um, I mean, this—you don't call the biggest spell in the um, in your video game Ultima without um, for no reason. But uh, also, <laughs> um, part of the reason why Final Fantasy got made in the first place was uh, Sakaguchi and was a fan of um, that sort of like Ultima wizardry, early eighties sort of rpg and was try basically pitching to square what if we do this um but make it for consoles and um they kept getting not but he'd been doing that for a while and then got knocked back and it wasn't until dragon quest came out that square let him do it but also uh listening to the ultima i think it was three soundtrack um it seems to have a similar, very similar vibe to the first two Final Fantasy soundtracks. In particular, uh, no noise channel. Um, that also has that same like three overlaying uh, sort of regular uh, synth channels that sort of play into each other and and create that look like a dense melody by all just kind of doing their own thing. Uh, and whether or not that's just sharing the same source of inspiration of that like kind of like harpsichord medieval renaissance fair vibe kind of uh music the sort of traditional british folk music viable or whether that's uh uematsu you know looked for inspiration in the games that sakaguchi was playing for the the game that they were going to make i'm not sure i'm not sure if he's ever spoken upon it but i wouldn't be surprised if that was sort of a if not a source of inspiration, at least drawing from the same well. Uh, that's that's you are very knowledgeable about this, and that's why we have you here because that I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> yeah, that. That would make a lot lot of sense, particularly the music side, because I know I know from a gameplay side for memory, I think Yuji Hori has said that Dragon Quest was very much influenced by wizardry, and that I think it was when they were, and that's where they got the idea of having that first person view for the battles in. Dragon Quest is straight out of wizardry because I encountered that when they went. I think they went to like a Mac world in the eighties, and they were like, "Oh, this is wizardry. This is huge. That we we need to make a game like this." I, I know, and I think some comparisons have been made in the past that Dragon Quest was inspired by wizardry, and Final Fantasy was more inspired by Ultima, and that's sort of a bit of the divide in terms of gameplay. So it would it would make sense if some of the some of the musical influences also sort of delineate in that direction. 
Yeah. I think the other main, well, in my head, distinguisher between uh, Final Fantasy and, and Dragon Quest is um, very the early days, um, like the first, you know, say, five or six entries, was Final Fantasy definitely felt like it was it, it was trying to expand its scope more in like a like a dramatic cinematic uh, angle. Um, whereas Dragon Quest, I mean, um, it's five is the one where you've got like multiple stages of life and stuff, but it's still trying to sort of keep that same kind of tone, that, that consistent tone that kind of has, has made it the comfort, the comfort food of JRPGs for over like three decades now. And, and just sort of back to the Rebel Army theme, I think uh, Final Fantasy 1 doesn't have named characters. You don't have, um, it does, you don't have named uh, protagonists. You're just the generic warriors of light. Final Fantasy 2, you can rename your protagonists, but they have defined names and character beats and are actual defined characters. And... So in my eyes, it sort of squares um, and first attempt at, at sort of making an RPG that uh, was trying to do that kind of narrative that gets, you know, expanded out and eventually culminates in Final Fantasy VII sort of bringing the genre to uh, more of like a worldwide sort of phenomenon. Um, and so sort of this is sort of the, the, the genesis of that kind of musical storytelling in a way. Now I'm excited to hear your next pick, John. Yeah, uh, it is uh, about the complete opposite uh, of uh, this track in every conceivable way. So this is a game that, uh, full disclosure, haven't played. Composer, absolutely love though. This is uh, Lena Rain's song Harmony from Harmony, The Fall of Reverie, which I mostly picked because it came out this year. Uh, But you can definitely (laughs) hear... I, I both love this track and it also very, very similar to probably her most famous work, Celeste. Sort of this this combination of very like gentle piano and gentle ambient synth. Um, I love the way that she make like builds atmosphere in a, in her songs, just sort of layering together all these different sort of gentle sounds. I think she's incredibly good at evoking emotion. Uh, through through her works, um, the picking the right moments to go uh, sort of harder, picking the kind of moments to sort of give you a, a sense of relief and, and, and breathing. The, this song in particular is is fairly quiet, which um, but sort of builds up later on into sort of the strings come in and sort of swell, so you kind of get a bit of bit of everything here and. I think that's important. I, the, when it comes down to it, music can be used to sort of accentuate mood and, 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 and sort of um, accentuate the gameplay that's going on. But sometimes you just need music that, that gives you good storytelling, that gives you, uh, is very good at conveying emotion. And, and, and um, yeah, I think Lena does it better than pretty much anyone else at the moment. Yeah, it, it's yeah. tracks like this and composers like this. And it, it very much brings to the forefront of your mind that it's very much an experimental space for a lot of composers video game music that as a medium it allows you to do a lot of different things and allows you to experiment with a lot of different sounds and sure you can do that with like anyone can start a band camp or a soundcloud and upload their music but what i mean by allows composers to experiment in the medium is that well you have a ready-made audience that you're composing for games and experiences that 
people are going to people are going to play, particularly a game like um, this one, Harmony: The Fall of Reverie, which is developed by Don't Nod, who have quite a big fan base. That you have an audience, you can you, you know they're going to listen to your music, and you know as well that well because you're composing to a particular it's like composing to a movie that you need to evoke particular themes you need to evoke particular well feelings and emotions as you say but you're in some ways you're given a blank canvas on how to do that of course the producers and the directors of the project will have some input and some suggestions but if you listen to um composers video game soundtrack composers being interviewed one of the themes, they don't really always out, um, outwardly say it, but one of the themes that I pick up is that they're generally given quite a lot of freedom in composing. And I, I think it's fantastic to that you move on from, and I guess if you compare the two picks you just um, selected, both have those elements of raising your emotions, of harnessing emotions, of having, like you, even if you've never played the game, you get a sense that there is a larger story behind the music, which, well, is sort of what paints good instrumental music from bad separates good instrumental music from bad instrumental music is that ability to evoke emotions but you see that in those two games the final fantasy rebel based to this one and it's what 30 years apart completely different um well instruments completely different technologies available to the composers but they achieve similar goals and i i find that really awe-inspiring yeah, Lena was definitely on my list uh, as a as a high contender. Obviously, not got the length of of lists as our previous three um, choices, just because she's younger, um, which makes sense. Um, but what she has done has been real knockouts. Um, I think, obviously, my first um, noticed um, exposure to her was in uh, Celeste. That's probably, I think, where most people discovered her. Um, I would suspect, and that's just a one of an all-timer for me in terms of soundtracks i think um yeah the synergy between that game and her soundtrack is is fantastic looking at her list though it's interesting i i probably had heard her in guild wars i had not realized she'd worked on on guild wars 2 before um as well uh because i think yeah when did heart of thorns come out that was probably before celeste i would have thought um 2013 2014 i think it says yeah yeah. so i mean i I played guild wars 2 and and stopped after heart of thorns so i certainly heard her music there and um yeah i think the guild wars 2 soundtrack is is good i just again probably celeste stands out for me a bit a bit more but uh, yeah, the other thing I'll just quickly call out because it is twenty twenty three. The other thing she's worked on, or technically she worked on in twenty twenty, but the game has re come out in an XD version. Spin Rhythm. She's got a few of her tracks in there. So Aussie made rhythm game just came on Switch a few weeks ago. Check it out. Um, it's just I think a really cool remix of um, some of the songs from Celeste. But uh, worth your time. Um, but. Uh, yeah you know great up and coming i don't know if that's the right term she's probably she's probably here she's not up and coming but uh, i think she's got a long career ahead of her um and we're gonna see her her name on a lot more things probably the other big thing is her involvement in deltarune um obviously she was involved in chapter two and did some great check tracks there keen to see what she does in chapters three through five <laughs> yeah so in addition to you know sort of listening through the, the, the Harmony UST and, and, and very much Griffin on Celeste. Uh, I love her work in Chicory, mm-hmm. uh, particularly mm. I think it's Syrup, it's the sort of the, the, the first main overworld area. Um, 
the I'm a sucker for anything with um, sort of pan flutes and 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 that just very like heavy harpsichord pan, pan flute vibe is just it's 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 so nice it's um and then you know her work in in Minecraft with um <laughs> the I think, I think she's she's the infamous uh, peak step composer but um a couple of the other CDs and stuff sort of like a guest composer in there and then you know next year with both Beastie Ball and Earthblade if they both end up being 2024 I kind of doubt it but they're sort <laughs> of sort of seem uh, seems essentially like the the uh, extremely okay games sort of in-house composer but also kind of fallen in with the Greg Lobanov crowd as well and and watched um, yeah she wasn't around for for Wonder Song um, but they're both in terms of uh, when I when I think of like modern indie games that target my heartstrings with really good writing with a really heavy emphasis on making sure that the music matches up with the writing and 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 making sure that they have they give an appropriate amount of attention to to sort of how well that can construct an environment they're they're some of the two of the best studios to be doing it at the moment and and sort of sort of really associate lean with with both of them these days um you know anytime i see a project when it's like with with music with uh by lena i'm just like okay i'm significantly more interested in this project than i was five seconds ago (laughs) and i I think that is an important i think that's an important thing and i I definitely find myself falling into that i guess category of thinking as well that it used to be i like films that you'd be attracted to directors of video games that oh shinji mikami's involved in Ghostline Tokyo, I'm going to like Ghostline Tokyo, I'll play that, it's on my radar. And I, I do think that the medium has met, met the point, and well, it's been there in the past as well, that composers do matter very much so to the experience, in particular in those more well, adventure games, those narrative-driven games, that I'd argue the composer is almost as important as the writer of the game, that yes, you want a, you want a good writer to develop the narrative and the characters, but the music... Video games are a sensory experience. It's about you you see the game, you listen to the game, the the senses that have been activated when you experience a video game. And I, I definitely do think that it makes sense to follow composers to think, oh, well, I really like Lena's work. I'm going to play her the games she's involved in and she collaborates on because I know I'll enjoy that aspect of the game. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, you know, for example, I mean, if they ever did like a, a Celeste 2, um, I would be, you know, it would it diminish my interest if it was not Lena working on the soundtrack. And that's even if everyone else that was involved in the original game was still there. And, you know, as, as we go through some of these other composers, that's probably an interesting topic to continue touching on because there's certain think of, we've talked a bit about how, you know, like and Koji Kondo and Uematsu and, uh, even to an extent, David Wise haven't always been involved in um, their key franchises um, necessarily. Um, you know, like I think with the, going back to David Wise when Donkey Kong Country Returns came out, he wasn't on that and people made a big stink about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as we mentioned just before, Uematsu's moved away from Final Fantasy to an extent. He's still involved uh, from time to time, but um, I certainly couldn't tell you who composed 16 or 15 soundtracks um and i don't think of their music nearly as as much even though i've played 15 haven't played 16 um so it's definitely noticeable when a uh, composer is off a of a series or a particular project that they're highly linked to um again just coming back to how 
the DNA of the of the person really shines in the songs in in many many ways. I feel like I, uh, con- considering uh, he's also the main Final Fantasy fourteen composer, need to jump in and defend uh, uh, Soken here as the uh, Soken, yeah, sixteen composer. But I mean, not not what your point was, but yeah, no, it's yeah. it's definitely like a very different vibe than um, what Uematsu was going for in the the first sort of like something he's up to nine. He was like the he was pretty much the sole composer up to nine. Yes. Uh, and then no, nine was the last one he did. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah. And especially as well with like, uh, fun fantasy going for like a more symphonic tone as, as sort of new technology advances and, and, and they, they, that kind of, yeah, they, they go for composers that sort of kind of match that, but in doing so, you know, you, 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 you gain a different set of skills there. And apologies. I didn't mean to, uh, Smirch, the guy who did the Mario Sports Mix soundtrack. I do love that soundtrack as well. Anyway, um, anything else we want to say about Lena other than, you know, again, looking forward to a long, hopefully very long and successful career as she expands that relatively small list of bangers into a large list of bangers? <laughs> yes. I, 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 got, I got less to say about Apuli in term because she's more of a. Uh, more of a recent composer but also her music really just speaks for itself like seriously it, i i've i've not heard a bad track like she's just bangers after bangers it it, it makes for great listening very good should Back i go to next? you zach yeah i'm gonna use in a bit of a cheating way my 2023 um song choice here it's a, and you'll see why i'm cheating because i am taking a iconic person to be fair this isn't my favorite track from them but it's the only one i can find online because this game isn't actually out for another week <laughs> what's coming out next i think i know what this is <laughs> oh yeah it makes sense yeah yeah so i'm playing the just general battle theme i guess from super mario rpg the redone version that, that comes out in a week which people have got off tetris 99 because that's got a collab at the moment so thanks tetris 99 for letting me squeeze this in as my my cheap 2023 pick but obviously the original composer of super mario rpg yoko shimamura at some point she was going to come up she has such a <laughs> illustrious Absolute legend Yes, exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting because, like, if you talk to certain schools, what she's most well known for will, will differ. A lot of people will say Kingdom Hearts, I think, is probably people of our generation will say. Nintendo fans, though, like us, will also say just Mario RPGs in general because she's obviously not just been involved in Super Mario RPG, but the Mario and Luigi games as well. Rest in peace, Alpha Dream. But, you know, again, when you look at the the Wikipedia credits, it's extensive. Probably what I'm noticing as well is as similar to our other more tenured composers, starts to do a lot more collaborative work. Like last year, you know, she was um, one of three composers uh, on Mario and Rabbit Sparks of Hope um, by Ubisoft and not as necessarily like you know the core composer on on anything in particular even kingdom hearts 3 you know that was a more more shared job than perhaps the the earlier games you know got her start i believe at capcom i certainly know her yeah earlier works from like final fight and um you know worked collaboratively with uh, another composer Uh, i think i can say because i think you're going to take the iso abe on on street fighter 2 which again is a an all-timer of a soundtrack um 
And then, yeah, Super Mario RPG is sort of, you know, probably from her time at Square working on stuff like Live Alive, Front Mission, and, and this, and Parasite Eve, and a bunch of other stuff. She's she's done the rounds, I guess, is what I'm saying. At, at, in Japan, she's gone to so many of the the, the big uh, development houses at one point or another, whether it's as an employee or just a contractor. I mean, like, she's on Final Fantasy 15. I didn't realize. Like, she's touched so much of um, the Japanese... Um, industry ip and it's all it's all fantastic and again very varied i mean we're listening to a very jaunty track right now i'd say um but you know some of our other stuff is is again more somber more epic it goes all all over the all over the joint in fantastic ways yes again it's that versatility and as you just hinted if you go back to our 2021 episode where we looked at at main themes of video games is the theme of that episode. We had the Xenoblade Chronicles main theme, title screen like theme, art. which was the goat, as John's rightly said, and that was the only track she composed on that game. She just did the title track for memory, and that honestly is one of the best tracks in the game. It it just evokes it, it evokes memories when you play it. Even even before you play the game, it does. But having finished that game, and it's a wild ride of the game in that particular case. You listen to that track, and you just you, you reminisce about the different moments in the game, and and that's powerful in itself. And I, I really do agree with you that just the versatility, just how varied the tracks that she composes is, and it goes from this this very jaunty track of or a Mario Battle theme to um, the soundtrack I might aside from the um, Xenoblade track the complete OST I most I guess recognize her and um, identify her with is the Radiant Historia one and Radiant Historia has such a lovely soundtrack and there's those there's joyful moments there's sad moments and and all of those emotions are really well handled by the same composer and that I keep on saying it, I sound like a broken record, but that's a real talent and that, that's why I listen to a lot of this music outside of the gaming context. I know that's why we all listen to all this music outside of purely playing the game and experience the game in, in that way, that this is music that can be enjoyed in its own right. Yeah, my favourite Shimomura soundtrack, probably bar none, is uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. That is an absolute joy from start to finish um uh, both the game but in particular the soundtrack and i think it really showcases sort of that that kind of uh playful wacky uh nature she can go into especially you know you compare it you know this is this is the kingdom hearts person this is the person possibly most synonymous with like elegant strings and and um and uh orchestral uh accompaniment and here she is making uh, funny little goofy Mario dance music, and yeah, the the thing I like about Shimomura in particular is how easily the melodies stick in my head. Like it's, it's just she just makes insanely catchy music, and I think she she can do it regardless of the style or the instrumentation that she's using. She's yes. just got this knack of taking the taking yeah the, the this this wide range of styles that she can do and regardless of the parameters she's been set she can make something that you will be stuck in your head for months for years like forever in the case of Xenoblade like it, it's it's insane yeah it, in some ways her style is similar to Yuzo Kashira though I'd argue mm-hmm. that Yuzo Kashira isn't as versatile in that 
all like he's a very good composer as well. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have um, said the name because <laughs> one of you might choose him. But I guess he he all his music seems to feel in a particular in a, into a genre. And yes, he does more than just arcade games. But you you connect him with arc the arcade genre of video games, and that's the style of that more frantic, upbeat music. And sure, he does the Etri, Etri and Odyssey games, which have a completely different sound to it to those games. But that's what you really recognize him with, and. I feel like Shimomura, yes, like in terms of capturing a melody, it's like Kashiro, but she's able, it's a lot more vers there's a lot more versatility to the melodies that are created, if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the other thing I want to quickly touch on what I find fascinating, I feel like John might actually be able to expand on it more than than I can. I think it's really interesting and cool because she's not the only one, and again I'll I'll refrain from names, but um to see like such an early on iconic composer who is a woman, um, just in an industry like where so many of the early icons are men, um, is very cool. And again, in Japan as well, which which is again like I guess everywhere in the world back in the nineties and eighties was pretty like you know patriarchal. But um, yeah, it's just good to see like this iconic like again a woman who's who's become a pillar of the of the video game music uh, scene. And again, I don't think she's the only one, um, particularly. In Japan, I think there's quite a few women who made a, a strong mark on the industry, and in, particularly in the, in the music space. I'm not sure why that's that's where they tended to pop up more than other parts of the game development process. But um, either way, just I think it's worth calling out at this point. <laughs> I mean, you could you could probably look towards just general sentiment towards um, you know parts uh, other jobs in the game industry at the time like you know 80s the 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 the, just the idea of of programming kind of being a bit of a boys club at at the time but i think as well i don't know if you know is like first female composer i can think of um i definitely not the first overall not not by a long shot um but definitely one of the earlier ones because she's around the turn of, of the 90s I do think, in general, the art, more artistic side of, of, of the field, it's a lot. Uh, it's a bit easier to be uh, seen for your merits as a person rather than necessarily who you are. And so, you know, the, I, I, I think that has uh, that can play a part in it as well. Like, if you're hearing a composition, say it's something that's a bit more tangible um, than the people, you know, the managers and stuff making that decision can sway them from their biases a bit a bit easier but yeah i mean it's it's definitely uh something that's really uh neat about shimamora is is just this this uh being a woman and being so well regarded in the music industry and, and um sort of being an inspiration on that side as well yes and it i don't want to stereotype but also but if you compare i guess east to west i think and we touched upon it when we were talking about david wise i think particularly Western developers, music in some way was a bit of an afterthought for those 80s, early 90s video games. Or when they were thinking about music, they did very much think, oh, that guy plays rhythm guitar in a band. He probably can put some tracks together for my video game. Let's let's call him up. Or, oh, let's call my mate Jeff up and uh, he'll put some music together for my game, for my startup um, dev. I've, like, I've, put, I've put together a startup development studio. I need to put music to it. I'll just use who I know. And since they male programmers, that their circles are generally will be male musicians. Whereas I think if you look at, I guess, and if you look at some of the stories of the people getting into game development in Japan, it was a bit more 
it wasn't as Wild West in terms of these studios popping up. A lot of them were attached to existing companies that did other software or had more established processes on, oh, we want someone to do music. We'll look at someone who, I don't know, studied composition at a university or has some background in that. And I think that probably created a space where women as well as men could get involved more so Mm -hmm. than I guess that Western model of being a lot more gung-ho sort of seat of your pants. We need to put together a team. Who do I know? I think as well, uh, um, another part of that as well is just um, it's difficult. There's not too many composers I can think of uh, on the Western side that have been attached to a single studio for uh, yes. a long period of time. You, you like, you know, you, you, you compare, um, say, like Uematsu, who even after he left Square, still had a very long, close relationship and uh, with both Square and, and his fellow FF1 collaborator, Sakaguchi's company, Miss Walker and stuff. Um, and like Koji Kondo, who's a permanent Nintendo, fixture at Nintendo. And you look at sort of like the Western... The, the Western composers that have been going since the eighties and are still doing big stuff today. And it's much more of a, of a Shimamura esque sort of, they've had to hop around a bunch really to survive. Cause like, you know, a, a lot of the eighties Western game devs have either been assimilated or shut down or both. And the, the ones that are still around are so big and, and sprawling that they're basically unrecognizable from their um, old days. I think rare comes to mind is like, you know, one of the first ones, partially because the Nintendo collaboration, but also because they're one of the very few Western studios to have that kind of like constant identity from like the mid eighties through to now, even if they're more or less another wing under Microsoft um, these days, but like, um, you know, all the Commodore developers, all your, um, you know, micro computer developers, they either adapted or died all the, um, you know, Maxis is dead now. Black Isle changed their name into Obsidian and they got, you know, they're still around in kind of a rareish way, but also that's what, like mid 90s at the earliest and stuff. And so it's like, you don't, there, there's definitely feels like uh, the Western, Western studios have that kind of almost like Hollywood esque, you know, bring in a composer rather than necessarily have an in house one, but also just, the different nature and, and the less monolithic structure of, of Western game dev studios kind of make it hard for a, you know, to have a mm. composer be an in-house composer for the same period as, as a lot of the big Japanese ones have. And it probably explains why for a lot of them, we have talked about variety and particularly again, I think of the ones we've mentioned, Goko is, is probably got the most variety so far in some ways. Um, Cause yeah, when you're in-house, you're not like, brought in for like oh you know again if you're bringing in someone because you're making again a, an rpg you go who do i bring in who's done really good sort of rpg music i'll get them um when you're at a company it's just like well our next game is this so <laughs> you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna make a soundtrack for this which i think probably leads to the need to be a bit more of a, a swiss army knife in your in your styles um uh, and again, uh, you know, we talked about Uematsu, he's probably the exception because Square in and of itself just kind of became an RPG house for, for decades. Um, but yeah, certainly um, others in the space who probably will get to others with a similar level of variety potentially um, uh, have to flip again. Like again, you know, Shimamura's done fighting games, RPGs, um, 
platformers, you know, a, a full array. Um, I feel like everyone's done a sports game as well at some point when you look at the lists, <laughs> usually <laughs> in the early days. Um, yeah, but particularly there's like NES, like late <laughs> 80s, early 90s sport games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as a side note, this was not done on purpose, but um, both Stuart Mora and David Wise are part of the same record label called Brave Wave, which is done to um, it's a it's a it's a record label specifically for video game composers that started in 2013. That's a coincidence. Uh, let's see if I keep up on that streak and just pull others from that same record label. Um, certainly doable, but I'm not sure if I if I end up if I actually will. But uh. I uh, highly recommend checking their stuff out, and they have a lot of soundtracks for sale as well, which um, is good if you like collecting CDs like I do when it comes to video game stuff. <laughs> uh, well, unless there's anything else we want to add, Brendan, you've got your second and third picks ahead of you. Oh, very good. Well, for number, these have been difficult picks to do because there's some that I want to just go back to the old faithfuls, and there's probably some names you probably can guess, but. Uh, for pick number two, I've decided to go for one who's a big name, but I don't think, and I've just checked the list, we've never used any of his work on any of our music episodes. Probably wow. might speak towards the sort of games and experiences we enjoy when it comes to video games, but you'll all recognise the composer, you'll all recognise this particular ch- um, this particular track, I'm sure, and um, just for you, Zach, I believe there is some chanting in this one as well. Love a good so, chant. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, I have a click the link. Decent idea. Yep. I uh, I would. Yep. That's, that's interesting. Would you pick something else, or uh, interesting that we've never chosen? No, this composer, it, which is Jeremy Soule. They they just fell under my radar, honestly, which which is a folly of me. Um, but again, you know, Skyrim and this song in particular um, is is iconic and fantastic as well. Yes, so so just for our listeners, the track, of course, is Dragonborn from uh, Skyrim by Jeremy Soule, who's a very prolific uh, video game composer and also films as well. He, um, interestingly enough, he started his career working at Square and uh, I think did some sound work on, not comp- composition, but sound work on Final Fantasy VI and then composed Secret of Evermore and then moved on to the, the first games I would have encountered him with, which... I wouldn't have recognised it was Jeremy Soul at the time because of the type of game it was. Was <laughs> his Freddy Fish and Putt Putt and Pajama Sam and all those oh, Ron Gilbert? So um, I guess adventure games that were targeted towards children. Which, if thinking back on them, they had some great like sound design to those games. And I think again, comparing it to Shinomura and uh, some of the other composers we've talked about, there's he's a very versatile composer. You look at his list of credits, and it really does hit a lot of, I guess, what you'd think of as in Western-developed games as licensed games in terms of the Harry Potter, the early Harry Potter uh, movie tying games. There's Icewind Dale, some of those early RPGs. There's your Oblivion Skyrim, um, big blocks, big blockbuster RPG games. And I don't think he's done anything in recent years, but he has a very... There's, it's a very impressive list of uh, games and another series that or another game that I'm familiar with and really enjoyed his work on is uh, the Dawn the original Dawn of War which has a great soundtrack and I know you mentioned it in that very um, outset of this episode that I would probably develop an RTS inspired game <laughs> I think that goes to show that yes 
a lot of my influence and inspiration who does come from that genre and or remembering a lot of the music because I actually have never played Skyrim. I've, I've played Oblivion, but I've never played Skyrim. But as you said, this is an iconic song. Most people outside of like the enthusiast circles we are in recognise the Skyrim sound, um, soundtrack and Skyrim motifs and some of the musical scores. Orchestras around the world will perform like this track in particular. You'll probably hear it on like TikTok videos and the like. This is quite a ubiquitous track when it comes to video game um, music and I think there's also that link between video game music and film music and I see Jeremy Soule as one of those composers that particularly in that mid to late 2000s period where again I, I, I'm very much I guess hung up on this like I guess as the technology got better composers could do a lot more with that technology and yes there's something there's something quite well inspiring and interesting when composers are able to compose stunning tracks with a limited palette set a limited um, technology in front of them but when they start to get more at their disposal you start to see these more epic scores and these epic tracks and it very much does mirror your your high budget movie scores to a great degree and i think this is why skyrim soundtrack in particular at the time it came out and in the era it came out had that resonance yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. I I think uh, yeah, Jer- Jeremy's very important in terms of bringing that kind of cinematic Hollywood style of um, music production to games. And um, I think Skyrim's probably the is the one I'm most familiar with him in. I've I've, I've um, played a lot of similar stuff that you have that 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 he's done like um, Dawn of War and stuff. Um, but when I think of, of stuff, of, uh, these tracks that stick out in my mind, like a lot of, uh, a lot of the Skyrim stuff kind of, uh, pick, picks out there. And, uh, part of that to me, I'm very bad at, uh, keeping, remembering, um, sort of that, that film score sort of, uh, music. It, it all kind of blends together a bit for me, but, um, yeah. something as evocative as, you know, as Dragonborn like deeply resonated with me when I first heard it and sort of kind of carried that with me since then. Um, you, are you better going to ride with me through like I've read through his works and I have a weird history with this guy that I had not realized until this very moment. So obviously you mentioned the educational point or well, educational maybe not the right word but you know what I mean the kids focus point and click adventures. Don't need to go into that in more detail though they do have good soundtracks. I also remember playing and loving on the 64 Rugrats in Paris, the movie game, which he apparently worked on. So that's wild to me. Then, of course, the Harry Potter um, games as well in that era. I think I played Chamber of Secrets on GameCube, which I think I got on clearance for like $5 from Dick Smith back in the day. Um, I enjoyed that. Then moving up, I also, me and a friend, played through the Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events video game also on the GameCube, which he worked on, which is... Uh, interesting because I don't, I couldn't recall any song from it, but I'm, you know, I also don't remember it being bad. I'd have to, I'm going to go back and listen to it after this because it's just wild. Um, Guild Wars, I mentioned before, I played Guild Wars One. Actually, I started with Factions to be honest with you, and then I've um, experienced him there. And then this is probably the one that I'm most like, wow, how the hell did this happen? I don't know if either of you were like me, but back in the day, as a, as a 13 year old and wanting to discover anime and stuff i found myself on gaia online uh for many years 
and apparently he composed music for their like MMO that they re- I remember beta testing and then when it came out uh oh my god uh in 2009 which again that was good music I remember that um not a great MMO to be honest with you but um that's bonkers to me I, I had no idea like this flash MMO on this like at the time a massive um kind of like avatar forum like you had a little avatar you dressed up um and it had like mmo qualities to a forum with some games on the side um then eventually they did make their little mmo version that didn't really take off and it looks like that music was then stripped and put into another like facebook game that the gaia team worked on but um yeah wild um just like you know and then obviously skyrim was the big one as well um that's that's was my first elder scrolls after being like exposed to oblivion but never never played it um but yeah god what again when we talk about variety everything from like as you said a ton of really cinematic stuff um which partly reflects in his work in in, again harry potter games uh star wars games and even even though it's not cinematic but things like a lot of dungeon dragons and that kind of stuff but then yeah these these other licensed games on far more again sillier and 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 more younger sort of focused things like rugrats is just yeah what a what a range <laughs> secret of evermore is a really uh, interesting first one to to be into as well like um like you said yeah sort of starting at square um evermore secret was the front correct that's the weird one that was created by square na rather than it's like square yes. north america's only actual game release specifically for american audience so uh it kind of makes sense why they bring in a uh american composer for it and then yeah moving into humongous entertainment with um uh supposedly as soon as he found out that ron gilbert was leaving lucasarts he was like hi i love your work i i i i i, I love you can i come compose for you and ron looks like sure <laughs> and that's sort of where that started <laughs> and but yeah no it's a very strong choice um in terms of the kind of pushing the boundaries for what music could be especially from like the the, yeah that kind of western perception of of as technology became um sort of more powerful enough to uh, incorporate more realistic sounding instruments. You know, I'm not sure if the early Black Isle stuff, like, um, I think it's Black Isle, it might not be, apologies if it's not, but like Neverwinter yeah. Nights and the Baldur's Gate and stuff. I'm not sure if that was, I'm assuming it would have been still MIDI and not like live recorded uh, instruments, but still like. It, it was still MIDI, yeah. It's like Diablo. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Being at, like part of that movement to sort of like, bridge the gap between like what is effectively literal chiptune to like more of a uh, modern and realistic sort of sound is uh you know incredibly important it's 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 very hard to make that sort of transitional stuff work for both at the time but especially like you know as 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 things continue to improve and they sort of look like the prototypical sort of like uh, uh, template for what happened rather than tracks in their own right. But I think, you know, his stuff's really kind of stood the test of time in that regard. For yeah, sure. I, that's what, that's why I had to choose him. And I, I'm, I'm just surprised we've never chosen any of his music before. <laughs> I think it probably speaks to 
just his his bit of a gap, it seems. I mean, if I'm looking at his uh, works, at least in games, he sort of hasn't done anything since 2018. Doesn't suggest he's retired or stopped. It's just maybe what he's working on is is just you know in the cooker for a long time. We don't. I'm not sure um, if there's any announced projects with him on at the moment. I, I do have to say as well that um, when I was talking earlier about you know Western composers having to hop between more like hopping between uh, things and sort of especially the longer lived ones, there were two that I had in mind in particular, and this is one of them. Uh, the other one might come up, but uh, Jasper Kid is kind of um, kid yeah, is kind of been he's good coming around. He's he's, he's been around. I, I didn't realize, but apparently he's been around since the eighties, um, and you know still doing like Assassin's Creed stuff to this day, and, and just sort of. Yeah, just having that kind of long, longevity in, 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 in the Western sphere just seems to be quite tricky, especially for composers that have kind of come in as composers to dabble around with games and, and sort of you know, stick around for, for a while. For sure. I do notice he mentions the stuff he most would like to work on, and at least this is Wikipedia, so I don't know when he said this was anything by Miyamoto, Final Fantasy, or Metroid. So it'd be interesting to see if he ever gets his wish on any of those. And he mentions particularly love Zelda. So, you know, maybe the Zelda movie even he could, he could, he could work on. Um, uh, it would be interesting. Anyway, Brendan, do you want to give us your third pick if you've got it ready? <laughs> this is tough because I have, I have five tabs still open and only two slots left. And I don't know. Actually, I don't know how many of these will get touched by you guys, so I have to really think about what I'm going to choose. And I think, I, I know we said it's a rough rule, but I, I guess I should go with one that has a track that released in 2023. So uh, let's go with that one, because I, I do like this composer as well. And uh, I guess breaking my tradition, actually, I've generally been pretty good at choosing, I guess, a mix of Western and Japanese com- and composers over the years, surprisingly looking at uh, my previous choices because I assumed I'd always go for JRPGs. So uh, this one has not composed for a JRPG, is a Western developer, uh, I think, and I actually have played a game that they have composed, and or, which was or was an RPG. So I guess that does narrow cast me again, but uh, here we go. This is my choice. Oh, I knew he was going to come up. This was on my list as well. Oh, then maybe I could have uh, skipped it then. Uh, but uh, this is this is the end credit theme of Stray Gods, the music, the role playing musical uh, RPG that released uh, in 2023 is an Australian developed game, and uh, I chose this track in particular because I, I, I've been listening to the soundtrack. I haven't played the game yet, and uh, like the, there are some great vocal tracks, of course, because it's a, it's a musical game. Uh, but I thought I'd go for a instrumental, and uh, this is composed by Austin Wintery. Who uh, Austin Wintery has quite an impressive resume, actually. He's only composed for games, I think, the last decade, or a bit longer than the last decade. I think his his first game was Flow. The is it that game company the developers are? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because Flow, and then I guess the one I know him most for outside of. Well, the game I've played of his that he composed is um, the first Banner Saga game, which that has a brilliant, absolutely brilliant soundtrack mm-hmm. that really gets the heart of that game because that's a very narrative-driven game in terms of... It's gameplay-driven, of course, too. It's kind, It's very much takes inspiration from Oregon Trail, that you're this band of, or effectively, 
it's Viking inspired um, Europe and you're going through an apocalypse and you go through all these hardships and all these all, it's a tactical strategy game so all this combat and um, it really gets to a lot of those themes and well it, it evokes a lot of the emotion that that game really uh, inspires in you when you play it and uh, and but the game I probably the soundtrack I know most for which I've never played the game is Journey and I think the Journey soundtrack is one of the most honestly it's it's just one of the most beautiful soundtracks and compositions I've ever listened to just not even in video games just in general it it, it is just we, we've spoken about emotion on this episode we've spoken about versatility but it's just stands alone as a piece of music and it's music is an art form of course but that is just like he could have composed that or and he has composed that with an orchestra and the orchestral versions of all those tracks are, are absolutely stunning it's it's one of my most played things on Spotify, I think, this year, probably. But oh, well, Spotify Rap twenty um, twenty twenty three hasn't come out yet, so uh, don't don't quote me on that. But <laughs> he, he is one of my favorite composers, even though, like, looking at his credits, like, I haven't really played many of these games that he's composed for, but I, I'm very familiar with his work. Yeah, I mean, I'm playing through Stray Gods at the moment. I'm probably two thirds of the way through, I think. Um, and by the moment, I mean like I was playing it last night, uh, so very fresh. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love his work. I mean, Journey's definitely the first thing I was on my radar with him, um, and I love that a ton. Um, I, that's that's probably yeah his most iconic, and that that won a bunch of awards, didn't I? I can't remember specifically, but that was like yeah, one, one of the one of BAFTA. Yeah. yeah, exactly one of BAFTA. Um, Journey won like I feel every like... award for music. <laughs> yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it like also nominated? Yeah, it was at the Grammys, right? Um, yeah. For best soundtrack, which was the first year video game soundtrack to be nominated in that category, so that that speaks to it, um, and it is it is certainly worthy of that. Um, going back to Stray Gods quickly, that's a very interesting one where obviously we're playing a, um, a track uh, in this episode, but uh, it's like a choose your own adventure musical game. So like the songs differ quite a bit and it's quite interactive. So um it's not one you get the full experience for from just just yes. listening it's worth a yeah. play and, and that's why i didn't want to choose any of the um vocal song tracks because i think it, it really because la- i can tell listening to them that i'm lacking important context there even though some of them are great tunes correct yeah and and it's also like um some of them are great tunes but also they end up being less good if depending on your choices i don't know how to say it. it's just it's just um, yeah, it's an interesting experience, um, which maybe we'll end up talking about in our 2023 wrap-up video at some point, uh, or video podcast, we don't do video. Um, anyway, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, and then and again, Banner Saga, as you mentioned, that that's such a good soundtrack. Again, sort of similar vibes to Journey, but obviously going less from a deserty, sandy kind of feel to the more, you know, harsh, snowy sort of mountainous regions that that game set um yeah no he's he's top tier and and um yeah i probably i haven't probably played as much of his as the stuff he's worked on as 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 the other composers but again it's just because he he he, like as john was saying all the western composers he jumps around a lot more um you know that game company's the only one i think he had a strong through line with and that company's kind of uh kind of stuck now on um what was their their game they've done on the mobile that just kind of, and I think it's on switch. They just kind of, it's, it's there. And that's, that's kind of the last thing they've, it's like a live service game. Sky? I'm blanking sky. Yeah. Children. Sky. Yep. Yeah, that, that's kind of where they've released and they've kind of 
haven't seemingly seeming if they're going to move off from that at all at any point. But um, yeah, anyway, it's great choice for sure. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think of is 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 Journey because I mean that both is sort of the first the the, the I mean it's the soundtrack that put them on the map, but also uh, it's just just beautiful score. Um, but you know, looking down this list and sort of similar to to um, Zach. Uh, with Jeremy Saul, I'm just there's a lot of games here that I didn't realize he did that that um, I, I like the vibe with you know Monaco and Abzu and Absolver and and uh, Pathless and all that and just um, seeing yeah it, 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 it's 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 really interesting doing this and just kind of seeing the different um, all the different uh, games that I, I didn't quite realize all had. They had similar. I thought of in similar ways until I find like the connective tissue linking them together, and, and in this case, the composer. The other thing that really uh, that get brought to mind, and I was I was thinking of when I was looking his stuff uh, the other day when I was I was thinking about bringing him, but I figured someone who actually started Stray Gods might do it. Um, is very interesting link between Stray Gods and his work on Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Uh, which is the use of the Australian comedy band Tripod, <laughs> and I I bring this up because like it makes more sense than Stray Gods because Stray Gods is uh, you know an Australian made game, uh, Tripod uh, sort of like a they've been around for a while. I remember seeing them in like the two thousands on TV and like the sideshow and yeah, same, that kind yeah. of stuff. And they're kind of like a geek, uh, software press like geek comedy band uh with a, a, a lot of songs about um just kind of like general nerdish um that, that, that kind of like nerdy but like nerdy for a general public vibe rather than nerdy for like a super video game vibe not saying it's yeah. not good they're quite good i like them but um i really like their vocal styles a lot um they uh it's a three-man sort of group and they uh have an amazing vocal harmony with each other um and i most of my knowledge of stray gods comes from tripod performing um at uh pax this year um well the sort of the pax like it was like a it wasn't pax big games it, it was big big game night out yeah, yeah. it was international yeah. games week rather than pax in particular but um yeah <laughs> despite it being completely rained out was a very fun night and um just sort of the way that their um the the composition was kind of arranged around their um uh their vocals there i think it, it seems that there seems knowing that knowing that wintry also did the music for syndicate makes me uh wonder like what kind of relationship they have whether they've you know, collaborated with other stuff that i'm not quite aware of um his tripod were also in that they did a couple of the um like the tavern songs uh for him there and so Didn't know um, that. Yeah. it kind of makes me curious to see if there's um sort of more of a collaborative relationship there that uh than i was previously aware of yeah i had no idea they were in assassin's creed syndicate because I, I immediately didn't play it but obviously knew their involvement <laughs> with stray gods so that's um it's fascinating i mean yeah it's interesting to see like the connections like uh, that form between Australia and um, and then these like international sort of you know highly regarded um, composers or other other people as well. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. 
Shall we throw it back to you, Zach, for your yes. number three? Sure. Unless can. we have anything else to say about the great Austin Wintery. No, I don't. Other than I look forward to seeing what's next after Stray Gods, really. I do need to quickly go back to Jeremy Soul just for a second because I, in, <laughs> in Googling him, I have figured out why he's not been on any projects and it's not a good reason. Um, oh, he, he was oh. accused of rape uh, in 2019. I don't believe that's gone to court and been <sighs> verified. Um, but I, I think it's we do our listeners a service to call that out. I don't think that necessarily means Brendan's pick is void. Um, uh, but I think we just want to acknowledge that. Um, yes. But I think, you know, if you're voting on Brendan's thing, vote on the quality of his soundtracks, not the quality of him as a person, potentially. Um, anyway, that's all I think we have to say that. Otherwise, um, we'll get someone calling us out for not for not realizing it. Because surprisingly, his Wikipedia page does not mention it at all. So he's, he or somebody has done a very good job at keeping that off there. <laughs> um, anyway... From that very serious but um, dark note, onto more video game music. <laughs> uh, this is tough, though. Um, this is very tough because I know John, and I know some of the stuff that might be on his. If it's selection any help, list, I would be mildly surprised if either of my next two pick, uh, my my last two picks, are on your list. Yeah, that's that's fair. I don't think they're um, ones you'd think. I don't think they're ones that you immediately would gravitate to. They're not ones that I'm aware you have a history of. More specifically, they're yeah, not Nintendo. Fair. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, I'm gonna go for. I want a younger, well, not younger, but a, a, I've done I've done two veterans. I need someone a bit fresher. Um, I don't think this pick will surprise anyone, um, given I mentioned I was going to go for Lena as an option. I just need to get the song up. Give me one second. But yeah, uh, I have gone for Toby Fox, who is not just a uh, uh, yes. composer, but also a developer, most well known, I guess, for Undertale. Again, like Lena, not a large list of credits yet because they are still in the the beginning of their career. I didn't go for an Undertale song. Instead, I went for the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet Final Boss song, which is an absolute banger and maybe something that not many people got to because either they didn't play the game because of its bugginess or um, they played it and they stopped. <laughs> um, but it's, it's well worth a listen um, and it's certainly in the same vibe as the Undertale Deltarune stuff he's done you know it wasn't his first uh, you know time with game freak he also did work on little town hero which i remember was a big announcement when that came out that i think the game was unfortunately not that great um also has worked on hive swap which is the um god i'm blanking john will know this the what's the comic that Homestuck. Hive Swap's based off homestuck that's it um mm-hmm. uh game and uh, but obviously yeah heavily involved in his own um undertale and delta rune which yeah, like I, I don't need to say much more about those soundtracks. They're they're glorious and fantastic, um, and worth listening to if you, if you haven't played either of those games. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, my familiarity is really only from uh, I guess I think one of our previous episodes where we talked. I think you chose it was either you or John chose his Delta Ruin track, and because probably. I've never played, I've never played um, Delta Ruin or Undertale. I've uh, 
haven't played any of the recent Game Freak uh, games that he's attached to, which in itself is quite interesting that he's forged a relationship with Game Freak that, I guess, for a lot of people, um, he's one of really the only Western composers that composes for a Japanese developer, which that that, that is interesting in its own right. And uh, But you can tell why from listening to his songs that it very much does evoke those melodies and those motifs that are very common to a particular type of Japanese developed game that it really fits well in the Game Freak um, development style and like I I can, it's no surprise at all that they got him to do a Pokemon track it, it, it just makes so much sense Okay, uh, where do I start? Um, okay, so <laughs> before I talk Here about what I, before I talk about my own experiences with Toby Fox uh, as a composer, I probably should I kind of want to hop on um, the, the his his collaboration with Game Freak a bit because it's a very interesting story that I can sort of shed some light on. But as uh, how how familiar are you with uh, Undertale's popularity in Japan? I'm pretty familiar because I listen to the Eight Four Play podcast yes. and they obviously yeah, play Good a podcast. Yeah. They <laughs> are a very large factor. Obviously, um, you know, Toby is very heavily inspired by um, JRPGs, very you know, Earthbound in particular, um, that kind of like Gonzo, like the, the, the quote of a quirky RPG style. And, and it was a particular Live Alive track that he's very Yes, he loves Megalomania. In, definitely, yes. definitely did not name Megalovania after Megalomania. What are you talking about? But, uh, and yeah, known no, um, Yoko Shimomura stand as well. Um, and so Game Freak loved Undertale, got into contact with Toby, he ended up becoming friends with them, specifically uh, Go Ichinose, who is like, he, he and Masuda are like the two OG Pokemon composers. Um, so Ichinose in particular is like, they were both, they've both been around since Gen 1, Ichinose in particular does a lot of the, um, like the environmental like, route themes and that kind of stuff in like the first four generations or so, whilst Masuda is a lot more of the battle themes. And uh, they became Twitter mutuals, uh, and that basically led to Toby asking if he could do a song on Pokemon and Game Freak going sure, and it being received so well that he's more or less become like a Game Freak contractor at this point. Like, yeah, Sword and Shield, he did the, the Battle Tower theme, and now in Scarlet and Violet, he did all the climactic tracks, like Area Zero, Zero this final boss theme we're hearing right now, um, the kind of like the post credits battle um, tournament arc battle theme as well, which is an absolute bad. The Ace Academy tournament, which is a banger. Like um, he went from being like a fun treat as like side content in post game to writing like the climactic story beats for Scarlet and Violet, which is just like what what a leap. And like you can see why he is uh, he is so good at creating very pleasant to listen to dramatic um, final tracks. Like you can you can tell that there's there's a there's you can tell the bits of like the Undertale uh, the various Undertale final boss themes that sort of uh, Game Freak would have listened to and gone all right we need that for our next game. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I adore that. Um, I can go more into how uh, what I know of it, like like my own experiences with work and stuff. Yeah, go but ahead. I don't want to like Why not? talk your ear off. All right. 
So, no, um, please do. It's, as... it's fascinating stuff. So, uh, when I was, what, like 15 or so, I started reading this webcomic called uh, Homestuck. And uh, Homestuck's a weird one. Um, not a video... There's, there's video games in Homestuck, kind of. So, but not, it's not really a video game, so I'll keep it brief. But it, it, it's so instrumental to both how Toby got started, as well as, like, the kind of... Uh, how his like music design sensibilities kind of came in, so it's kind of important. No, anyways, he so yeah, Homestuck is a webcomic with a lot of audiovisual uh, components to it. Uh, they took advantage of it being like a like a, a website-based comic by um, having like a lot of flash scenes set to music, a lot of concept albums attached to it, uh, with a large uh, amount of composers uh, from the community slash uh, friends of the webcomic uh, creator, Andrew Hussey, and uh, Toby was one of those people. He created some of my favorite tracks um, from that, from uh, from Homestuck, such as uh, Black, Moonset, uh, Moonsetter, everything, almost all of the troll themes uh, from Alternative, Altern he did the entire Alternia album. Um, like, he was just this constant like for musical force throughout all of that. Um, kind of, once again, it's kind of like that, that zany kind of atmosphere that kind of delves into seriousness. And it's that kind of tone that kind of uh, was carried on in the game he was making at the time, uh, literally in the basement of the Homestuck creator, uh, which became Undertale. And, um, you know, Undertale becomes this huge indie hit, and suddenly Toby is this huge, famous, um, indie creator but he sort of kind of comes from the composing side of things first um and so you can kind of see how um through his like very considered use of motifs in uh, the undertale and the deltarune soundtracks um as well as just how perfectly each song kind of like tailor fits the, the scenes that they're in in those games that like He's really able to come at these uh, these tracks from with, with a perfect clarity of what he wants them to be because he's also uh, the person for like creating the the game in the first place and so it, it's this perfect marriage of kind of like gameplay and sound. Yeah, I I have to admit I've played, watched, read I don't know what the right term is with Homestuck Red Homestuck for part of it, but I just. It was long. I didn't make my way through it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Have you played any of these um, Earthbound um, like rehashes at all, John, or not something you've delved into? I have listened to the original Megalovania, which is the boss theme to the Earthbound yeah. Halloween hack, and that's basically it. Um, that's sort of Megalovania ended up being his calling card in like he's put in all his projects until uh, Undertale where it became so big and so associated with Sans that he basically can't put it in things anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I in terms of Undertale uh, in particular, I really like the kind of like the kitchen sink approach he took. Um, like, you know, he's sort of uh, grabbing all these different sound fonts and and and, and uh, styles and, and vibes to sort of fit whatever he, he wants at the time and once again kind of plays into the, that kind of um, clarity as a composer you, you kind of get afforded to you when you're also the one making the game in the first place um, 
and uh, I mean, obviously, he can compose for games he didn't make very well, as we've heard. But I think it's just kind of interesting that, like, you know, the the the, the big breakout one is sort of has that has that level of direction. Um, that's you know, not even talking about Delta Rune, which is one of my favorite soundtracks in anything ever. It's, oh, Brood Buster, incredible. Got a hope and dreams, incredible. Yes. Like all of Act Two's music. Oh my god. Yeah, you, you really get a sense of his passion for video games and particularly video game music. And I think out of all the composers we've talked about uh, tonight in this episode, he is the one you can point to and say that his inspiration 100% comes from other video game composers and, um, well, yeah, other video game composers because we talked about other, like Koji Kondo being influenced by prog rock and other ones having Phil Collins vibes to them. But for Toby Fox, it's, it's clear it's clear as day where his inspiration comes from and you can tell just it's, he's not just inspired about it but it's a passion for him he, he absolutely loves it and it, it comes through through the music and i mean again similar to lana there's not too much to talk about beyond that just because he is is in the you know he's made it but he's in the start of his career i think um obviously the next few chapters of delta rune will give us much more of his his music. I'm sure it's not the last time we've heard of him in Pokemon or other Game Freak joints. I don't know whether he'll be involved in that um, one they're doing with Private Division with the sort of um, looks quite interesting. Um, but yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll find out in the future. But yeah, and obviously multi-talented uh, as both the developer and, and a composer, which which is very, very impressive. John, do you want to grace us with your third and then lastly fourth picks <laughs> yes uh and i'm glad that uh toby was my backup so uh, i'm glad i get to talk about him <laughs> but um yeah it means that all, all the ones i prepared for i get to talk about which is neat um speaking of uh speaking of composers who also are the solo game dev on the the games that they compose for uh and also really you know ties very heavily into Toby considering that he is a, this composer is a, uh, he's been cited as a major inspiration and there's a lot of like, um, uh, not sampling, but I mean like literally the, 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 the famous, um, sort of sample, uh, this composer is known for is used in, um, Undertale, uh, a lot. And, uh, they're apparently doing a collaboration next year, which will be amazing. I'm really keen to see how that goes. Um, but, uh, yeah, here is my, here is my third pick. Ah, oh, okay. So I said I'd bring him last yep. year, but I didn't end up bringing him. So I, I, I have to, I have to, I have to bat for my boy Zun. So this is uh, the Deviant's oh, oh. Unobstructed Light. Uh, Kingdom of Nothingness, um, effectively the final boss theme from Toho 19, Unfinished Dream of All Living Ghost. So yeah, Zun, Zun has been around for a while now. He, he, he released his first uh, Toho game in 1996 or 7? I think it's 7, but he, he finished it in 6 and released it in 7. Um, as like a small like indie thing, no like actual release. Then he went to go work at uh, Taito, 
uh, for a while and, and kind of did some uh, programming work there uh, before deciding that he wanted to strike out on his own and has just been making Toho games ever since. He's a one-person dev studio. Um, he does all the music, he does all the coding, he does all the art, the very subjectively interesting art. <laughs> the, yeah, so the, the Toho series, people are not aware, is a a uh, series of, of bullet hell games um, where you play as various um, sort of personifications of, of uh, mythological creatures um, whose entire goal is to uh, shoot the other person with as much magic bullets as possible without getting hit. Um, this most recent one is a bit different. It's like a um, versus bullet hell game. Um, and so, whilst it still has like a single player mode, kind of like the big uh, part is that there's, um, instead of having like three or four characters you can play as, there's like uh, a good dozen or so, and you're like both shooting at each other with a lot of bullets and stuff. But yeah, Zun in my head is like one of the most iconic and like weirdly prolific uh, artists in history that still goes, in video game history, that still gets a bit overlooked because of how niche his his content kind of is. Um, I love the style, this song in particular, I love the style of. Um, it has a lot of very signature Zun elements, this really fast piano, um, the really like, not discordant, but kind of um, offbeat snare and, and drums, um, and those famous trumpets uh, in particular. And that sort of give like a, a, a nice melody to the piece, but also makes it uh, a bit unsettling um, and manages to keep a very frantic tempo. Um, Toho in particular, um, for like the shooter genre, tends to focus more about the presentation of um, like the bosses and, and like the, the, the patterns of the bullets that are being fired at you compared to say like your um, you know, your, 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 your gradiuses and, and stuff, it's like, yeah. And so, I think the music plays a big part of that as well. Um, this, this is a genre where, you know, similar to fighting games, uh, you're listening to the same songs over and over, said songs are almost all action-y, and so there, there's, to have, like, be able to put such a um, emphasis on the music and, like, it needs to be, it needs to be good. If it's not good, then it's going to be like a hell to replay through. And so to just be able to constantly churn out like high tempo, engaging music that really like carries a frantic tone on like a once every two to three year basis. It's like it, 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 the, the sheer like throughput he has is insane. And I think it's an interesting point you bring up because correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first arcade style game track we've listened to um, this episode and to your point it is all about the replayability it's about creating tunes that won't well won't get stale you won't get sick of but at the same time uh, is elevating the experience is making playing the game enjoyable and particularly in a bullet hell in a shoot 'em up that you have to you have to keep that frantic pace in mind you can't have a chilled laid back soundtrack to your your bullet hell shooting them up game and I, I've never played a Toho game but just listening to this track and listening to some of his other music I have over the years it, it's interesting to compare to 
well, it's interesting compared to the compositions in cave games because cave bullet hell shooters are well, it's the same genre, it's the same um, game concept, but the sound is very different. Cave, I don't know how quite to, I guess, um, describe it, but this track in particular has like the horn instruments and some trumpets, and you don't get those instruments in cave games. Those are more, I guess, heavy guitar riffs, and not not all heavy guitar riffs, but that sort of, it, it goes for a different, I guess, style of frantic sound, and I find it interesting from a genre perspective when we're overlaying the music with the genre. Yeah, I also haven't really played any um, Toro, but I, I agree. I mean, music and rhythm in those uh, sort of like bullet hell shmup games is, is like definitely like a synesthesia to that, I say. Um, uh, which, which is, I'm sure is why his, as you, as you mentioned, John, being both developer and um, composer, works even better for these types of games than um, is necessarily needed in other genres. So it makes a lot of sense for this to be sort of a feature of of, of Zun um, and their work. So uh, I mean, this is the only song I can say I've listened to that you've introduced me to, and it, yeah, it's really, really <laughs> makes me interested in checking out some of the Toho stuff, to say the least. It's interesting as well seeing how he's evolved over the years. Um, as because he's essentially been doing the same stuff for like two decades. Um, <laughs> you sort of it, it, it's more noticeable in the art for Toho, where he started out. He can he's he's uh, wasn't very good at proportions. Uh, some of some of the characters just look like very uh, interesting representations of what humans might look like. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's back in, like, what, 2001? So, yeah, like, 22 years later when he, um, he, he dropped 19, like, um, he's got a very... Uh, it's almost similar to, like, um, one the, the One Punch Man creator in a way where, like, the not having the technical skills necessarily for the drawing but having the design sensibilities that it still kind of works. And as you, you know, hone those skills over time, um, you get better and better at it and then start shining through um and his music is is not that his music has always been good uh ever since like you know, from Toho one uh on the back when he's doing like his fm synth stuff on the pc 98 uh, through to like early like the in the 2000s when he's doing his uh on the windows um his in the instruments he's used basically haven't changed too much since the start of the windows days but he's added in new stuff it's like choir like the, the um, I think it's specifically like Himalayan throat singing VS a sample or something like that that he's using here. <laughs> um, that's a new one. Uh, that's just for this track. So he's he um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's the way that he's like uh, had to sort of like you know reinvent himself uh, musically is kind of, I, I find really interesting because it's all very similar. But you need to find a new thing to do. You need to find a new sort of like hook so it's not entirely, you know, you're not just entirely repeating yourself every time. Um, and that level of variety, I think, is, is, is quite nice. The sort of the, uh, the last sort of big thing I wanted to bring up with Zoom uh, is just the, the, the influence and legacy he's had in uh, especially um, like the Japanese sort of... Um, music scene uh, in particular because Toho's never been properly localized. It's very uh, sort of 
centralized around around Japan. Um, but Toho is a weird IP in that it's not public domain, but his licensing uh, laws are very loose as long as you're not uh, like a big corporation or anything. So theoretically, um, it was made as like, you know, he, he makes it as an indie project and fellow indie devs can effectively use, create and sell games um, based off his works uh, without like heavy licensing fees or anything like that. And so that has um, spawned uh, decades of like fan works and uh, fan, fan arts and fan games, but most importantly, fan music. Um, and so half of listening to Zun's music is his is the original compositions and half of it is just the ton, the absolute metric tons of fans who have um, remixed his works, have, have reinterpreted his works, um, and then either in fan games that are released or, you know, uh, on their own or in albums or even um, they're a staple of the rhythm music genre. I think if you go down to, um, you know, your local arcade and you got like a Dance Dance Revolution or a, uh, a Taiko, like a Taiko to Tatsujin or your Mai Mai, um, they'll have like an entire category of music, like anime, uh, variety, game, Toho is his own thing. Um, and it's all just, it's, not, it, it's all just like fan works and, and that kind of stuff. And so I find it very interesting that to have a composer who almost kind of, you know, works, a composer, both a composer who's a developer and thus has a very uh, clear goal in mind when he's composing uh, and helps, knows how to match the gameplay to the music, um, who is in a genre that has a heavy focus on character themes. And so uh, not only is he tying the music to the gameplay, but he's also tying them to the specific characters. This is um, uh, the, the main boss, uh, yeah, Zanmu Nipaku's theme in particular. And um, in his like developer notes for the game, talks about how the uh, the repeat the the main like melody repeats over and over to sort of represent uh, the main characters' like, dual fa like multi faced nature, like a, a duplicitous sort of like vibes. But also as kind of someone who creates to then share it out into the world and sort of create like new things for people to then reinterpret. Um, and I think it's sort of interesting to sort of see a musician who has knows he has an audience of other musicians interested in his work and knows that they're interested in like reinterpreting his work. It's almost like he's both giving you the song and he's also giving you the sheet music to, to do with what you will. Yeah, there's, there's an entire creativity or creative networking community around him. It doesn't just live in it. It doesn't live in the game. It, 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 it's its own um, or organism. That, that's really interesting. And um, yeah, and like going back to what I was alluding to before the song, like um, the Undying battle theme in Undertale is uh, a direct reference. Uh, not a, it's not like it's not sampling the, any of Zoom's songs. The trumpets are directly the same trumpets as Zoom uses, but it's very much a, a song written in that style. And um, next year, a, there's a Toho rhythm game coming out where hmm. Zoom is going to do a remix of Undyne's theme, 
Toby is doing a remix <laughs> of UN Owen Was Her, which is like the big famous meme Toho song. It's like a meme from the early 2000s of like Ronald McDonald, like Macca's commercial, like set to it in like the YouTube boot style. Um, and then they're going to work together on like a combined medley for it as well. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what, what uh, where that goes. Nah, so awesome. your, your final pick, your final draft pick, John. All right, do you have it lined up. I do indeed. Uh, this one, I reckon y'all may have played something that have been in. I'm always excited by your choices, so this will be fun. Let's see this guys. Oh, that was almost <laughs> my last pick. So almost <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> Because there are multiple composers involved in this song. Yeah, actually, yeah, maybe um, we're... The song the is person. Lagoon City Act 2 from Sonic Superstars. And I will touch on Jun's yeah. anyway a bit, but I'm specifically bringing up T-Lopes. Okay, no, I was gonna I was gonna do Jun's anyway just for the I mean, if you want, go for it. Yeah. No, 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 um, I've got a different one now, but yeah. Yeah, the, uh, mostly because I wanted to... Yeah, I was a bit worried about the... Make, I wanted to make sure we, I had like an equal amount of uh, Western composers and, and, and Japanese composers. Um, so T Lopes is a, similar to, to Lena, similar to Toby, sort of American uh, composer who has uh, really uh, made a name for themselves in the last like decade or so. T Lopes's T Lopes started out in sort of like the the chiptune electronic music uh, field, like sort of in general before getting into games. Um, but got picked up to be the composer for Sonic Mania, um, mm-hmm. where he did, I think he did this all, all the soundtrack for that. So um, both remixing you know, classics like uh, Hydrocity and stuff, uh, as well as uh, making brand new tunes for like Studiopolis uh, Zone as a uh, Act One is a is a big favorite of mine. Since then, he's mostly worked on other projects with that kind of like referencing the 90s that genesis kind of vibe he's, he's very good at, at sort of harkening back and making something that feels new and fresh and original whilst still paying homage to that so like he was brought on for the streets of rage 4 dlc uh he's a large part of uh teenage mutant ninja turtle shredder revengers soundtrack which is excellent He's also going to be uh, doing the soundtrack for Penny's Big Breakaway, which is um, the platformer that the Sonic Mania team are working on after doing Sonic Mania. Um, so he's kind of yeah made a name for himself as like a modern interpreter of like retro games, not just remixing retro themes, but also like the style and sensibility. And I think this song in particular really like encapsulates that in a way that feels a bit different to his standard style. Um, it's less high intensity, it's less like uh, pun- it, it less um, high octane uh, compared to like say a lot of his Mania tracks or a couple of his other songs he was brought on for for Sonic Superstars. Um, but it has that very like 90s R&B kind of uh, backbeat to it, sort of a very, still a very jazzy, sensibility i think it is ge- like straight up using the genesis bass as the baseline but it's also just like that it still has that like driving motion to um that you kind of need in a sonic level but you know because sonic levels are all about speed and about um that sort of forward momentum and it's just plain pleasant to listen to really 
I think I was first exposed to T-Lopes through Sonic Mania, for sure. And I mean, it's a great soundtrack. I mean, hard to hard to deny it. Uh, one quick clarification. Portuguese is where he's from, not America or anywhere. My logic, so, yeah. anyway, all good. Um, I think Lena might be Portugal. Canadian. Portugal. So from Portugal. 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 He's not American. He's <laughs> Portuguese miss. from Portugal. He might <laughs> live in America now. I don't know where, he, where he's no, based. I, I, anyway. I don't think he does. I, I mix that up. That's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, Sonic Mania was my first exposure to him. And then I played Sonic Superstars at the moment, which he's worked on with a bunch of people, actually. And, and you mentioned Jun Senue, who I'm, I was considering for my last pick. I think I just want to quickly touch on Sonic, because Sonic is a series with such great music. I think pretty consistently great mm. music. But I'm, again, it's antithetical to Mario, where Mario is like Koji Kondo and then people who have trained under Koji Kondo. Sonic's a real hodgepodge. Like, in trying to like pick yeah, like you a, get everything. Yeah, and and trying to pick a Sonic composer is not actually that easy. There's not one that's really like. That, I mean, Jun Senoue might be the most consistent now at this point. I'm not. I'm not mm. entirely sure. Um, because it, they they don't use Crush Forty anymore, do they? Well, sometimes. In context, Jun Senoue is the guitarist at Crush Forty, um, and also the the lead composer on sonic superstars and a bunch of other sonic games in recent years uh, but yeah i haven't when's the last time they used crush 40 probably for sonic 06 maybe i can't remember um but i'm sure that they've been bringing crush 40 oh. back in the world um uh recent concerts uh for sonic because i think there's a symphony going around at the moment uh, and i'm wrong it wasn't sonic 06 it looks like the last one they've done was uh, it is Sonic one song for Team Sonic count. Racing because I remember it yeah. came up in a music quiz and I'm like, right. which Sonic game is this? And it ended up being Team Sonic Racing. I'm like, oh, good yeah, right. in that. Yes, you're right. So they would, <laughs> that's, that's pretty recent, 2019. So, you know, we might get some um, another Crush 40 song in the future. Um, the band's still in contact, seemingly. Um, and they, was, they didn't realize they did Black Knight either, which um, was after 06, which they did quite a few songs. Um, I didn't play that game because it was trash. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, T-Lopes, I'm very keen to see where he goes in the future. I mean, Penny's Big Breakaway is a big one for me because obviously you mentioned he's done Sonic, he's done TMNT, which again, I played that as well and really like that. Um, he did some stuff on Streets of Rage 4. But um, yeah, I mean, Penny's Big Breakaway, there's no... You're not tied to any brand. You don't have to specifically be linked to anything. It's his chance to really uh, break away uh, from from uh, sort of histories and, and start something fresh. And, you know, obviously there's a bit of bias with um, the, the bulk of the, or at least the head of the Sonic Mania team being Australian. So, you know, Penny's big breakaway or another one to chalk up for good old Australia. But yeah, I mean, again, not a lot to say just because he hasn't got a lot of titles under his belt yet but i think we'll be hearing the name for many years to come no what what i find interesting about this track and i haven't played the recent sonic games but just in some ways how unsonic this track is but at the same time it's very <laughs> sonic in terms of it's not high octane it's not fast paced like some of those i guess classic sonic one two and three tracks you think of sonic adventure as we mentioned crush 40 there's this idea that Sonic musical motifs and the like became this like this idea of your like driving guitars and the like. But 
at the same time, if you look into some deeper into some of those earlier soundtracks, particularly those Genesis games, uh, Mega Drive actually, sorry, we shouldn't call it the Genesis, it's definitely the Mega Drive, uh, that it ha- Sonic has always had this jazz influence. There's this mm. very deep jazz influence of the Sonic soundtrack in many regards. And yes, it's sort of rock became much more at the forefront in, I guess, the 3D games. But I, I think it is at the heart of 2D Sonic is that more... I guess, not chilled way back, like, motif at the same time that you're going very fast and you're doing all those things Sonic does. And I I find that, I find it interesting how this song captures that sense, that it can be very Sonic, but also seems a bit, I guess, clashing with the idea of what Sonic is. And I think um, that makes it work well uh, within the uh, Superstars as, as well. I've, I've not played Superstars yet. I've just listened to the OST listening through it a lot more or a lot of the tracks are more of that standard um sort of uh the junsenue the kind of uh, the high energy the the what, what i would expect for a game that is trying to be harken back to classic sonic trying to harken back to generations that kind of era of sonic um and but it, it sort of so this kind of becomes a bit of like a, a rest of a bit of a, a lull in the uh, a, a point to release tension um, within the game itself, whilst still not being boring, not 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 completely stopping the tension, but preventing a bit of a release. Um, and so, I think, in terms of where it sits within the rest of the album, I think T Labs has done a real good job of of making something that that creates a bit of a rest, and um, Sandway's done a good job of of making that sort of planning the overall soundtrack to make sure that it has the greatest impact. Um, and I'm, to your point, Zach, I am um, also very curious to see how Penny's Big Breakway goes, especially in terms of like, it reminds me of um, another composer uh, who might come up, but um, uh, Jake Kaufman, who did a whole bunch of stuff with WayForward. And then... Um, you know, I love his style. I love his stuff. I want to give him a shout out. But um, then when Yacht Club by Shovel Knight sort of got a chance to reinvent his style and sort of, you know, kept a lot of the um, energy behind his tracks whilst sort of shifting to that kind of more nicely um, medieval chip tune vibe and that kind of create that, 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 that sort of birthed something. Um, forced him out of his comfort zone a bit and birthed him something new and, and exciting that, that sort of became a quite memorable soundtrack. So I'm hoping so you can get hoping that uh, T Lopes gets like a similar kind of chance uh with, with Penny's Big Breakaway to sort of step outside the comfort zone and, and sort of see where he can push his music. I I'm, I reckon he will, which I'm very keen to, to see and then yeah, can't wait for that game. It's got, it looks so good. Oh, I need another trailer like yesterday. <laughs> Alrighty, should I do my final pick? Are we ready for that? Sure. Uh, so I've thought a lot about this. I mean, there's a, quite a lot of legends still on the table. Brendan mentioned Yuzo Koshiro before. That's that would be an obvious one. We've alluded to the other pillar of rareware, which I won't say because Brendan might take him. But you know, there's there's a bunch we've talked about <laughs> and alluded to. Instead, I'm going to go for a real hard pick. It's not someone that's got a lot of tracks, a lot of games under their belt. But it comes back to when I think about one of my favorite soundtracks or two of my favorite soundtracks of all time, they are on those games. And 
they don't even have a Wikipedia page. So that's the level of like, I've had to go to like IMDB and um, Moby Games to get their full games list, which isn't which isn't massive. It's about eight or so games. I don't. I reckon at least one of you've you've probably each played at least one game. I guess I reckon John's played a few, maybe. But but Brendan, I think you probably tried at least one in their catalog. So yeah, I'll link my probably my favorite song by them or one of my favorite songs by them, and then we'll um talk about. It. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, so I have linked uh a one of my favorite songs from Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Kind of also a cheap pick for this year because that got re-released this year. Um, but the uh, composer is Masakazu Sugimori. Um, and yeah, if you look at their list on IMDb or Moby Games, I've only really got, yeah, like eight things here. They got Original Ace Attorney, which is one of my all timers uh, in terms of soundtracks. Beautiful Joe, also a fantastic soundtrack. Ghost Trick, uh, which, yeah, I love that. Vanquish. Uh, I've played a bit of Vanquish and enjoyed it, but I can't say I remember the music very well. And Murders by Numbers, I've got downloaded, I've yet to play, but I'm keen to play being it's a detective Picross game that's right up my alley. I think, John, you might have played that from conversations we've had. I have. Um, yeah, so, yeah, really weird, because, like, I mean, uh, first off, Ace Attorney, I think, is a series well-known for its music. He obviously did the original one, but then has not touched the series since, which comes back to... What we're saying is not not always do these series keep their their original composer. Um, similar to Beautiful Joe, he did not do two or the DS game. Um, Ghost Trick is yet to be a series. We'll see if that ever gets a sequel. I don't think it will. Obviously, similar to Vanquish, murdered by numbers. Maybe that could get a sequel. I don't know um, what that developer's doing at the moment. Uh, but yeah, he seems to be a real like one. In- yeah, <laughs> oh, that's depressing. Murder by Numbers was made by Mediatonic, who are currently making Fall Guys. Oh, um, yes, that's right. They yes. proceeded to owned by Epic. Um, they got owned okay. by. They got bought up by Epic like last year, and a couple months ago released pretty much all their non-Fall Guys. Uh, so most of the Murder by Numbers team is no longer at Mediatonic. So the likelihood of a sequel is fairly low, unfortunately. Okay, fair Spiritual enough. Well, I mean, that's super likely, and they should definitely do it. It's an amazing game. Yes. Um, well, all, all I'll say, though, is if you listen to any of those soundtracks, I think you're going to walk away just completely blown away. And it's it's actually shocking to me that he hasn't been used on more stuff in some ways, uh, particularly Ace Attorney. That, that is a... Um, I don't know anyone that's listened to that soundtrack and not walked away incredibly impressed. Like, it stands up there with me to... Again, we talked about Street Fighter 2 before... Uh, Mega Man's the other big Capcom series I always associate with great music, and I, I almost took the composer of, of Mega Man as well was a choice. Um, but but I love Phoenix Wright too much. I love Ghost Trick too much. They're two of my favorite video game soundtracks of all time. Um, certainly could have picked other composers that have done other Phoenix Wright games, but um, you had to go with the OG, particularly because he did Ghost Trick as well. So... Yeah, I don't keen to hear your thoughts if you've played any of the games and thoughts on the track as well. I've never played the first. I've never played the first Ace Attorney game actually because I'm I bought the first Ace Attorney game on DS on uh, eBay once, and I think it came from Iceland. But oddly enough, but that was one of the great eBay buys when it wasn't the first Ace Attorney game in the case. It was Justice for All, the uh-huh. second Ace Attorney game. <laughs> so I've played Justice for All, and I think there is some. There's some tracks that are sort yeah. of overlap, aren't they? Like, I guess the 
the most, um, I guess, recognizable one would be that courtroom. Is yeah. it the courtroom track, for lack of a better term? Which yeah. is re- the really high. That the, yeah, the, it's sort of the high octane one. Yeah, which I think you, you chose um, on a previous year. Uh, yeah. Pick, Zach. So yeah. um, I'm familiar with that. So and this gives me a lot of the same like vibes. It, it feels very similar. And I agree with you. It's a shame he hasn't composed for more games because he's well, he's a talented composer. And Ghost Trick, I have it on the DS. It's actually in my DS at the moment. I just it's my next DS game to play, but I haven't haven't got there yet. Yeah, so I have played remarkably few of these games. Uh, I have obsessively listened to the Phoenix Wright uh, soundtrack in general, um, and have I, I've played a bit of Phoenix Wright, but it's it's one of those series that I missed as a kid and uh, keep needing to go back to. I have the trilogy installed on my PC. Um, but that, yeah, that that soundtrack is incredible. I've got mad respect for anyone who can construct like nice sounding GBA music because that is not an easy console to make nice sounding music on. Um, and especially for someone who it's effect was effectively their first gig, like that that's incredible. Um, making music for a, a visual novel in in like adventure game in general is also very difficult because it needs to carry it needs to carry so much of uh the emotion because the you know the player is not and mount number of actions that the player has access to is quite limited um and yeah to just like make that all work is is insane um the one that i know him the most from is murder by numbers the one sack <laughs> the least from um murder by numbers soundtrack is incredible Puzzle games are weird. You don't need a good soundtrack for a puzzle game. But I think for Picross games in particular, having a good soundtrack is very important because it's, um, you know, it's like your Sudokus, it's like your crosswords. It's a type of puzzle that you're doing the same thing over and over. Um, It gets very repetitive. And so having lovely music uh, that can just kind of fade into the background, but sort of, um, keep you help you keep you engage uh, can really elevate um, can really elevate the experience. I've been working through the, um, the Jupiter's Picross S series this year. Started with um, S one and have making my way through. And uh, in a similar vein, like um, the, the 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 soundtrack has been like a huge highlight for me. Weirdly, in the just keeping me engaged. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the Murder by Numbers puzzle thing, like music and stuff until after I'd finished the game and it sat down to listen to the soundtrack and I'm like, wait, all of these songs rule. <laughs> it's just, he's just, he, he's just so good at making very catchy tracks that kind of catch you off guard by how memorable and love, lovely they are. Yeah, I think I need to make this a, a priority to get to at some point just because, um, yeah. I mean, I've ticked off all the other ones almost, other than finishing Vanquish. Uh, so, so I don't think I'm going to get to that. To be honest with you, um, uh, oh, come on, Zach, do it for Sugimori. <laughs> I should. Uh, I'll offer. Um, uh, who's the other? What's the main developer of Vanquish? Um, bloody Platinum? Resident Evil guy, Quite, Mikami. Um, Mikami. Was Clover? Um, yeah, Platinum. But, but, but it's a Mikami joint. I'm pretty sure as the as the director. Yeah. Um, yes. 
than it was. What I like about this ghost trick track in particular is it almost feels like an alarm in a way. Like it, it, it's got a lot of, um, it's not abrasive to the ear, but it's got a lot of like sharp, uh, short, sharp notes still. It, it really like, it's a call to attention. And uh, I think is that what what like what is this is this play like at the start of um, yeah investigation the kind start of? of the game and I mean it makes sense because so like for if anyone hasn't played Ghost Trick the 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 theme is you have died you are a ghost you kind of have one night to sort of using your powers figure out what happened to you um and so there is a bit of a time sensitive element so that alarm sort of feature is an interesting observation because i reckon that's intentional to like create that sense of like we got to go we got to figure this out we don't have a lot of time and uh, yeah plays at the start or at key sort of moments of a lot of um cases isn't the right term but like segments of the game i guess chapters is probably the the way to, to describe it yeah uh, sort of like a turnabout kind of vibe in, in Phoenix. Yeah, it, 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 to me, it's the turnabout equivalent for Ghost Trick in some ways. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, similar to how that works in, in Phoenix, it definitely feels like this. Yeah, it, I hear this and I'm like, oh, oh, I gotta pay attention. <laughs> Something's <laughs> <Yeah>. gonna happen. <laughs> Something big's about to happen. Yes, and that's why this particular song sticks out to me from that soundtrack. I haven't played the game since it came out on DS. Um, Forms one of my like few very rare and expensive games that I just happened to get as a child. So <laughs> sits there uh, safely uh, at my parents' house, hopefully. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was Snowboard Kids Two. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's yeah, that will fund your retirement. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I've always I tell uh, my wife if I ever pass away, do not garage sale. Like at least check eBay before you sell any of my stuff because you'll probably <laughs> be set um, in some ways. Ah, neither of you played Beautiful Joe, I'm guessing? I've I want to, but I've never played I've it. I've played a bit of the DS one, which is not as good as the original. <laughs> yeah, um, it's one of those, like, I picked it up on eBay years after the fact, um, and I've played a bit, but it's hard. It's a hard game. Mm. Um, but again, good good music. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Brendan, do you want to cap us off with your final pick? I will, but I'm struck by indecision because there's a few different ones open at the moment. So I need to decide which one to go with. I, I think just going off my, I guess, modus operandi and my uh, reputation, I, I probably do have to go with a JRPG, don't I? Probably, I have not yeah. touched. I've not touched the genre yet. So unfortunately, I won't go with that. Uh, Grant Kirkhope, which uh, was who we've been hinting at, the colleague of David Wise, and I was going to, I would have chose Spiral Mountain from uh, Banjo Kazooie for Kirkhope. Fair call. Uh, I won't go with my other option, which was I was thinking about Jake um, Kaufman for uh, Shovel Knight because that's a great shout out. He's a great composer, and that's a great yeah. um, soundtrack. So I think this will not surprise anyone at all which one I will go with, and uh, I think John probably can guess yeah. who it is. I, and Zach will be able to guess yeah, who it is, I, I but didn't, I can't. Yeah. I have to go with it. Yeah. Also, the 2023 game, technically, because <laughs> oh, uh, Bat and Kytos, Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean, and Bat and Kytos Origins was re released on the Switch this year. And uh, this track is the valedictory elegy. And the important part of that title is guitar version composed by Motoi Sakurada for Batting Fighters Origins and 
Motoi Sakurada's calling card are the guitars, and in some games it's a bit more, I guess, minute, it's a bit more reserved, particularly if you look at the Mario Sports games, the games he does for uh, Camelot and Nintendo that are a, lot, a bit more subdued, you can kind of tell that he's a bit on a leash, that he can't go, I guess, full out frog rock, but this is my favourite one of his soundtracks because it's clear that he was just given unlimited scope to do what he wanted to do. And Moto Sakuraba, one guitar is not enough. Two guitars is not enough. He needs a symphony of guitars just going for it. And it's it's hard to beat. It's just, it brings out the rock fan in my soul. In, in, just not in video games, but just music in general. It's, he, I know we've spoken about him ad nauseum in previous years, but he is one of my favourite composers. If I was building a team with four composers he he has to be there because he, he, he is an icon in my mind i mean we speak about him ad nauseum because he's just that good <laughs> uh sakuraba is a personal favorite of mine um i think like i mean he is a self-enclosed statement on the influence Prog Rock has had uh in specifically the jrpg sphere but in gaming in general like you know, Uematsu has a wide range of influences um, and didn't really... Uh, his proper roots really showed when he got access to more than, like, two instruments. Um, you know, like, your Final Fantasy VII and stuff. <laughs> Sakuraba is, like, was... Has, had made many albums uh, before getting into games in the 90s. Or, uh, 89, apparently. Whoops. With, uh, with Wolf Team and, and sort of um, everything that's borrowed on from that. And uh, you, you can tell. Like, his... I, the, the bit that always gets me with him is the... Um, like, my favourite Sakura, Sakuraburism, if you will, um, is, like, the way he does the... I think it's the cymbals? Um, just that constant, like, hitting of the... Hitting of the, the cymbals to get that kind of... Uh, the percussive noise i feel like i i hear that i'm like i got sakuraba time let's go i'm ready i'm pumped let's do this yeah i mean i haven't played as many rpgs but i've played a lot of mario sports games um <laughs> over my time and they, they have um they have like very good music and you do even get like the hints of his like guitar and all like more upbeat sort of stuff more intense stuff like i mean i'm like listening to like the Mario Golf Super Rush soundtrack, like for golf, which you would think is should be really like laid back and mellow. A lot of those tracks are real like bang, bang, bang. You're like you gotta go, like hit that ball. Yeah. I guess Super Rush is the exception because it's like the one where we run around. But still, um, his uh, talent is is truly on show, no matter what game he's doing, um, from golf to fighting, you know, God in space or whatever. It's it's nothing's beneath him. <laughs> and of course, the yeah, he actually. He did quite a few remixes for uh, Smash Brothers, for Brawl and then Ultimate, actually. And that, that's quite interesting as well. But I think there's some Donkey Kong stuff and just Kirby and a mix of things that he remixed because I think he has a relationship with um, Sakurai. So, it, and looking at his credits, he's, he's yes, he's done a lot of RPGs and it's mainly JRPGs, but there's a few other things in there like sports games and the like, which, which it's interesting to see. The part of his discography that I find the most interesting is uh, Dark Souls. Yes. Like, mm. very... Like, 
when I first listened to the Dark Souls soundtrack, I'm like, wow, what a nice, uh, nice, moody, atmospheric uh, soundtrack. I, I, I loved it quite a lot. And then as soon as I found out it was Sakuraba, I'm like listening to it a bit closer. I'm like, yeah, no, that actually sounds a bit like Sakuraba now that I think about it. But just like seeing, letting, seeing him like uh, sort of expand out into a musical style that he doesn't normally do. Uh, even you know, even when he transcends genre, it's he's usually it's usually so, something that's still it's that it's the high upbeat tempo. It's that you know, symphonic elements, but symphonic as sort of translated through guitar and, and uh, absurdly hype electric piano. Um, so seeing like a more like straight up orchestral sort of soundtrack from him sort of really, it, it, it did a lot to show me his range and, and like what his, his capabilities are. Yeah, he, even though he clearly loves it, he's not just a straight rocker, that there's, there's, there's more depth to his uh, composition style because and, and you're right, there are motifs to his work that you can generally pick what is a Sakuraba track and what is not. And I find that most pertinent when you look at the soundtracks of the Tales of games. That Because he, he's worked on every single Tales of games, but I don't think none of the recent ones for at least 10, 15 years has he done the entire soundtrack of. He collaborates with other um, composers, as we've discussed a lot of Japanese games do, but you can generally pick out which one is a Sakuraba track and which one isn't just by not always by the electric guitars and the electric pianos but there's there's something there that it just clicks and you're like yes that that is Motoy that's him speaking of the RPG front I think um 2023 is a very good year to shout out Star Ocean because Mm. uh, from my understanding we got a good Star Ocean for once um the uh, you know (laughs) the the music the music behind Star Ocean has always been great the uh, Triace is capacity to sort of um you know budge budge and development time wise and, and manpower wise i think has probably been a bit restricted um uh, from my understanding the recent ones are just not as good but i've heard many glowing things about uh starish and the second story are um sakura similar to you know shimamura sakura came back to arrange his own stuff and uh yeah from what i've listened to the soundtrack so far it's it's similarly like absolutely banging like it, it's just kind of good to see he's definitely not pigeonholed as the tales guy but it's, it's good to see like another series that he's been so closely entwined with since its start kind of uh have its moment in the sun and and, and sort of um give another platform to some of his absolute bangers looking through his credits i do find it somewhat amusing that against uh bravely default it's just keyboards <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um. Oh, what's his name? Um, that's Revo. Revo, that's it. Yeah, Revo knew who to bring in. He's like, all right, I need someone who can go absolutely sick of murder on these keyboards. I know. Um, also a huge <laughs> fan of his work in uh, Kid Icarus Uprising. That was uh, yes. Uh, uh, once again, another collaborative work. But um, pretty sure he was the one behind um the li- lightning battle, Thunder Temple duel soundtrack that chapter which yeah. are my two favorite tracks in the entire game they're so bloody good again i think it's it's his style is such that you can pick which ones they yeah. are I'm, I'm with pretty much like a great degree of confidence oh he's so good i just like spray about him forever he's he's yeah no one of my favorites um of all time he, he's just he does what he does and he does it so 
well. He does it so entertainingly. It just, I just can't yes. help but have a big smile on my face. Because actually, there is another all star on that um, Kitty Chris Uprising uh, list that we haven't mentioned this episode, of course, which is uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. So, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> say maybe like now that we've wrapped up and done our drafts, it might be worth just doing some honourable mentions of who barely didn't make the cut, and I had that literally was staring at the Mitsuda Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, because I think that's they're intrinsically linked yep. as well. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, surprised. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Tataka. Uh, it was on my list as well. The only so I thought you guys would bring up one of you would bring up Mitsuda. I just thought that was inevitable, but it didn't didn't end up eventuating. Um, I was going to bring up Tataka. I didn't only because why didn't I do it? I guess I, if you look at his soundtracks, like. He's, it definitely is like fading away from direct involvement to more supervisory, and I um I just kind of felt I had a couple too many of those already um in a, in a way uh, on my list a bit heavy with with um, Shimamura and and um to an extent David Wise, and I wanted some some a two lesser like you know like yes. Toby Fox fresher. And then um, I had to go Ace Attorney just for the because if I didn't, no one else would. <laughs> With Sugimori, yeah, I, I wanted to go the fifty-fifty, I guess Western and Eastern. So that's why there's some I missed out because I could have went all Japanese. Like I was thinking, actually, I was thinking Mitsuda. I was thinking um, Yasunori Nishiki mainly for the Octopath Traveler mm. soundtracks, which are like particularly the Octopath Traveler one theme is stunning. And the other one I was thinking of was uh, Yuka um, Tsujiyoko, which is a bit less un- less known, the fi- the original Fire Emblem composer. Mm-hmm. And I guess alongside Shinomura, she's an example of an early or female composer in the industry. So, I, But again, like like you said, um, Zach, she, she's similar in that she's transitioned to more of a sound, des- a sound um, directive role at Intelligent Systems. I don't think she composes soundtracks anymore. Not for a long time. I think the last soundtrack she composed was actually Thousand Year Door. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a good one, though. Good, good, good for 2024. <laughs> I, got a, I got a couple of shout-outs. I also had Mitsuda yeah. and uh, Nishiki on my, my short lists, but um, ones that haven't been mentioned. Uh, Darren Corp of Supergiant Games fame. Um, his Hades soundtrack is insane. Uh, his, tra- his work with Transistor and Bastion is also really good. Um, I'm slightly less familiar with it, but he's also a neat example of, like, uh, an in-house, another good example of an in-house composer. Um, and then in terms of stuff that composers that had, uh, I think had really good 2023s, Hideki Naganuma didn't have a full album, but he did have a track on Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. <laughs> Jet Set Radio <laughs> is such a good soundtrack. Uh, his Sonic Rush stuff is so good. Like he's he's just, he gets that funk vibe in a way that feels very refreshing. Um, and then, uh, shout out to Mashi- uh, Masayoshi Soken. Uh, I love his work in 14. Yeah, Soken. I haven't played 16, nor have I listened to the soundtrack yet, so I couldn't really bring him. But I've been playing through Endwalker at the moment, and oh, oh he's so good. He's so bloody good. <laughs> and then my final one is uh, Shota Kageyama, um, who I ended up doing a deep dive in a couple of weeks ago when i was looking up uh composers from this year so he did the pokemon sleep ost oh um, that's so good 
which is really good. <laughs> um, he yeah. was one of the main composers of, from, of Pokemon from Harkov, Soul Silver through to X and Y. Uh, so he did a lot of my favorite tracks from Black and White. He did a lot of my favorite tracks from X and Y, who I think uh, probably are up there as two of my favorite soundtracks in Pokemon. Um, X and Y in particular, I feel, is a bit underrated. Just fun, but like, I feel like it has a bit of a black sheep reputation these days for sort of being the start of like the 3D era and start of like. Um, missing content that was in previous games and i i understand i i I agree with a lot of those criticisms but i think the music in that game is just insanely good um and uh since then he's mostly been doing spin-off stuff um but i'm hoping that you know now that he's got a full giving him the keys to sleep that maybe he'll be brought on for the next generation that the you know game freaks uh kind of want want to Mm. I'd love to see him work in the main series again, and um, um, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff's in the future. Maybe he can collab with Toby Fox. That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be sick. Like. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the final name I'll mention that was on my list was, uh, and I think, yeah, released a game this year, of course, Starfield, Ainon Zua, who is another mm. one of those Western, crosses that realm between video games and TV shows slash films, and I guess a much more orchestral, minimalistic or in some ways minimalistic score but i think sort of probably i i think the one i think particularly um austin winchery i think is sort of a next level above that but he he has composed some very good osts as well but perhaps a bit closer those film scores which like like you said earlier john that some film scores like you appreciate the film score at the time but there's nothing really memorable that sticks in your mind in the same way that some of these video game composers we've discussed do yeah and there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that but it's it's definitely like you know not all music is meant to be like an album but yeah yeah, it's it's a different type for different effects a hundred percent um i have a few honorable mentions which i would like to just quickly run through um speaking of obviously developers who also do games i got a couple of those big one is eric barone who's uh the stardew valley guy um who did everything in stardew valley including the music um obviously that's a soundtrack that's incredibly well regarded and has a concert happening in australia next year and the rest of the world which is very 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 cool um so you know yeah similar to toby fox but i think toby i edged out him for me just because he has other stuff on his list and not just one game um and then you mentioned before obviously um john junichi masada and the other you know um pokemon composers who also have gone beyond being composers into to programming and other development aspects those games have had good soundtracks since day one the other one that was close to making it for me was uh, i'm just looking at all my areas as uh, the right guy yes Masafumi Takada, who was who sort of I edged out with Ace Attorney. He's the he's the person who's probably most well known these days for Danganronpa, but has done a bunch of other stuff, particularly with Suda Fifty One, like No More Heroes, a bunch of Clover stuff like God Hand. I think there was also on Kid Icarus Uprising at some for some tracks, um, Earth Defense Force as well. Digimon Cyber Sleuth, those are great games. And then obviously this year, Master Detective Archives Raincode. And yeah, just listen to that um, main theme for that song, uh, for that game because it's it's really, really, really good. I think all the other legends we've mentioned here, yeah, you mentioned Grant Kirkhope, you mentioned um, 
uh, all the others that I would have potentially tapped on, but um, just a few others I wanted to, yeah. Put the spotlight on. If we've missed your favorite composer, yeah. mention in the comments below. I'm sure we yes, have. Please, please do tell us, yes. <laughs> Especially second Takada. His, I don't understand how he comes up with what he does, but it is so good every time. Uh, he just comes up with the most like insane compositions and I'm just like this is an absolute vibe also I'm a bit scared which works for a lot of the games he works on so that's good 100% yeah that that good creepy but intense like manic vibe um, yeah, manic's like, the word yeah yeah yes. exactly um, I, I have a particular Danganronpa character in my head when I say that as well but um, I won't spoil it if you've never played the first yeah. game <laughs> apparently he composed the evil within one and i have never been less surprised in my entire life <laughs> and fatal fray <laughs> yeah yeah that that is not surprising no yeah well that was a good that was fun i really enjoyed that uh, one oh, yeah. one more name we have to mention being australians oh yeah not mention mick gordon yeah that's yeah. that's valid that was he was on sort of my short list as well correct because Fle- you can't be flesh. Is a rip and tear or flesh and tear? Yeah, rip, rip and tear. tear until it's done. From Doom, Doom twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the Killer Instinct soundtrack he did also very very good. Uh, I will say the Killer Instinct soundtrack is incredible. Um, Lawbreakers soundtrack was actually pretty decent for a game that lasted about two months. Um, <laughs> that's one of those uh, like uh, live service ones that went into. I think it was um, the old Epic Games guy who's left Epic Games to do his own thing, and then it failed immeasurably. Um, mm. But yeah, no, uh, he's... Yeah, Cl- Cliff. Cliff. Cliff Blinsky. Cliff Blinsky, yeah. Cliff Blinsky, yeah. yeah. I didn't realise he did stuff on Atomic Heart, which is a game I also forget came out this year and exists, but um, I'd have to go see, listen to his yeah, tracks that, on that. That surprisingly seems to have been better than it, like everyone expected it would be. Correct, but at the same time, it's still completely buried under the plethora of, like... 10 out of 10s uh, this year. Hey, I, I would have rather have picked that than uh, Call of Duty on my fan. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We, I, I, just quickly before we finish with the Australian piece, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of Australian composers in video games. I just don't know who they are. Um, but I, yeah, Mick Gordon was the only one that came up from my like brain when I was trying to think of any. So I'm keen to see hopefully more Aussies start to proliferate um i mean I, I imagine if we looked at team cherry actually i'm sure that's an australian composer yeah christopher larkin um, is one is the other big one that comes to mind um even though yeah like he's mostly known for hollow knight and silk song he apparently yeah. did pac-man 256 oh that makes sense that's which was developed that's, by hipster that, whale which makes sense hip, hipster whale yeah I also would say Dan Golding, I know, for the Untitled Goose Game, oh. Debussy sort of rework, and he, he um, does a lot of research work. I think it was like a lecturer at RMIT. He went to the same uni as me. Um, at one point, I tried to get him into our video games club to do something, but it just never never worked out. Um, He's also the uh, Frog Detective composer, which yeah. uh, is incredible. Slippery Pond, Song of the Year 2022. Um, the other yes, one- Slippery Pond was so good. I can think of Sorry. who I think also might have been a uh, uni alum of ours is uh, Kevin Perkin. Um, oh, yes, of course. I mostly know for Necrobarista, 
and I don't think he's yes. done much game work, but he's become he's becoming very prolific in the anime uh, mm. soundtrack space very quickly. He did Rising the Shield. Yeah, Hero, just, just to clarify, Abyss. it's Kevin Penkin. Which it's I, Penkin? Which I, that's why I, he didn't show up. Yeah. Oh my goodness, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. No, you're <laughs> oh, not no. the only one that's that's made that typo. There's some actually. I think there's a game I've scene where they've stuffed that up as well i don't know which one it was but yeah um i yeah i agree I, he's really i love necro barista soundtrack i think that might have featured in one of our episodes brendan or no maybe yes it yeah did. i think the very first one yeah I, i'm pretty sure i brought that but yeah I, as you said john these days i see him more as an anime guy which is still very impressive to be like an aussie making like anime soundtracks particularly um i haven't watched all of it but maiden abyss is got a very good soundtrack, and I'm very keen to see his work on the next seasons that come out on that. He's done Apothecary yeah. Arrows, apparently, which soundtrack is amazing. Um, and also the Scarlet and Violet uh, Pokemon shorts, Pokemon Paldane wins. He's like the... Oh, yes, that. that's right. Correct. That's games-ish. In the most recent, ep- in the most recent episode of uh, whatever it is, Paldea wins, is it? Um, yeah. That's that his music's in there, and it's very, very obviously his music. Um, it's very good. So, um, but yeah, um, I guess I've just we've just proven ourselves wrong. There are quite a few Aussie ones, but still, I want to see more uh, names break out there, and they definitely would fall into that same modern category, though. With like again, your uh, Lena's and, and Toby's still you know, so many of them have made their mark, but I'm keen to see their lists grow to 30, 40 things, not eight or ten or whatever mm. yes sakuraba scale yes well, that's why we're that's that's why we're hiring them as composers so they can you know in our in our in our theoretical games that's another some of the credits of their list yeah um so thank you everyone for listening uh what we're going to ask as well is uh if you are following us on social media we're going to try and put a poll up on twitter uh or x whatever you want to call it uh just you know let us know who picked the best four um or even if you don't have twitter email us or whatnot so maybe it's a good time just to move straight into the plug since i'm doing this um you can email us at blow car uh, blowing cartridge at gmail.com or find us on social media at blow pod yeah so either reach out with words and explain who was the best or vote if we put up a poll which we will try to do just curious to see not that it matters there's no prize i'm sorry i should have mentioned that brendan and john i didn't buy a, a trophy or anything um <laughs> Sorry, we've done just... for long enough, enough i'm used to it <laughs> um i only bought a prize for the first year in fantasy critic where i didn't win and since then i've never bought myself a prize but um maybe at some point i'll have to um probably not this year uh <laughs> we'll see um but uh yeah that's where you can find me at eggerino and you can find brendan at tamazoid John, um, our regulars will know where to find you because this is your what third or fourth episode with us. Um, but number four, yeah, four. Wow, that's that's a good effort. Um, but yeah, if if anyone this is their first episode with you on, where do they find you if you still want to be found? I am still found. Uh, so I'm on a Twitter slash X at uh, Aura Paladin, also co-host, but I use that less. Um, and then uh, Electric Super Sixty Four on Sporkle, where I do a yearly end of year video game music quiz where you can test your knowledge of all the games that came out this year and go wait did that that come out that come out this year or what was the name of the pokemon game that came out this year god i swear i remembered it <laughs> um but yeah i'll be putting that up in late december early june so uh, i look forward to that 
Awesome. No, thank you again for joining us. This is a lot of fun. Also keen for any feedback on what people thought of the draft format, because it's something we could use for other topics in the future. As long as they all don't go for three hours. <laughs> yeah. I edit all this yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I think this is, this has gone very long. Um, might be a good one. Even Brendan, when we don't get a guest, you and I can use it to keep conversation running, which is good. Uh, anyway, with that, Brendan's already complained about how long this has gone for. So let's, uh, end it right here. Thank you for listening. Um, this is an end of year podcast. So have a good, you know, end of year, uh, holidays and, and new year. And we will, um, speak to you again all soon bye